If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This Info Hour, celebrating its second year of weekly production, The Rundown is a collaborative Catholic news and opinion show endeavoring to expose and mock the Build Back Better New World Order in both civil society and the church. We've correctly predicted lockdowns, mandates, elections, and public frauds of all manner. Covidians hate us, normies try to ignore us, and fake news organizations wish they could be us. This is The Rundown. Brought to you by Restoring the Faith Media. RestoringTheFaith.com And I agree with what Chairman Powell said last week, that the number one threat is the strength, and that strength that we build is inflation. And that strength that we build is inflation. I have a question for the Department of Justice. When Amy Coney Barrett said she'd uphold Roe v. Wade in her confirmation hearing, she lied. Lying under oath is perjury, and perjury is a federal crime. Why didn't you take any legal action against her? When Neil Gorsuch said he'd uphold Roe v. Wade in his confirmation hearing, he lied. Lying under oath is perjury, and perjury is a federal crime. Why didn't you take any legal action against him? When Brett Kavanaugh said he'd uphold Roe v. Wade in his confirmation hearing. He lied. Lying under oath is perjury, and perjury is a federal crime. Why didn't you take any legal action against him? <laughs> Merrick Garland, your decision not to prosecute is going to cost women in America their reproductive rights. How dare you call yourself the Department of Justice? Do your job. Prosecute the Republican justices. Zozos is next after three quarters in one minute, ten and four foot seconds. And now Epicenter comes splitting horses and is moving up quickly as Crown Pride takes the lead around the far turn. It is Crown Pride battling with Messier. They're stride for stride. Epicenter and Zozos in behind them. Cybernet swings up on the outside. Sandon gets the rail run and they're into the stretch. And it's Messier, Crown Pride, and Epicenter is coming up on the outside. Epicenter 
has taken the lead as they arrive into the final furlong. Sandin is coming after him. Epicenter and Sandin. These two strive for stride. Simplification down the outside is next. They're coming down to the wire. Epicenter Sandin. Rich Strike is coming up on the inside. Oh my goodness. The longest shot has won the championship. down your weekly addiction the most watched least trusted catholic news source for all of your news this week busy news week ladies and gentlemen we have so much to get to ryan james and brother are here we're going to be talking about russia 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 uh today is friday may 13th at least in the united states still 105th anniversary of Our Lady of Fatima. Crack pipes. Uh, is that a conspiracy theory or not? $40 billion. Thank you, Rand Paul, potentially for saving that. Second week since the fallout of the Alito Roe v. Wade leak. Liberals losing their minds. Groomers, of course. Kamala seething and coping. So much to get to. I don't even know where we start. Should we start with gardens being illegal? In parts of the world now, you're not allowed to grow your own food. I've spent the last two and a half years growing a garden, trying to be as self-sufficient as possible. Now the government want to pass this bill, which would mean I'm a criminal for growing my own food, and they can come and destroy it anytime they like, and I have no say. Ryan, I wanted to start with that one because everyone expects you to, you know, to start with the most controversial news. But I think we should start with the news that no one's paying attention to. It's the food shortage. It's the inflation. It's the fact that in Australia, growing a garden is going to throw you in jail soon. I mean, what's what what gives with that? Well, it fits with all these international agreements that are being made by large companies and large non-governmental organizations that everyone mocks when you mention it. Oh, that's conspiracy theory. <laughs> you Alex Jones person. But then guess what? Uh, not only is that not a conspiracy theory because they're doing it in the bloody in the open, really, when you get down to it. But uh, they the other problem is that, you know, they are getting ready to enforce it because then where do these measures come from? Does a government official just wake up one day and say, huh, you know, the smartest thing to do is to is to get our police resources into making gardens illegal. That's really what we got to be doing. And so, no, it, it, these are part of like the Rockefeller Fork to Table Initiative. This is part of the uh, 2030 Agenda 2030 Sustainable Development Goals. And you're like, well, wait a minute. How is it sustainable to stop people from growing their own food? Um, because then they won't be dependent on the government when something like uh, your ration card comes in. You might not need to go in as often. Uh, you can't have that. And so what they're doing, Australia seems to be like the test case for every level of tyranny in a non-Chinese country that they want to put in. And so like we saw all of uh, last year, uh, unfortunately for many of our Australian listeners who had a lot of these types of things going, police state tactics and people being grabbed out, arrested because they posted something on Fedbook uh, or something like that. Right. And so now, you know, so this is the next stage. And I guess it, maybe it's a test to see how well people take it, and and maybe it's not. But um, it'll be interesting to see where that goes. 
This is the uh, you'll own nothing and you'll be happy. James, uh, a man was arrested in Los Angeles. Uh, speaking of uh, you'll own nothing and, and, and be happy and you're not allowed to uh, have unpopular opinions. A man was arrested in Los Angeles and charged because he showed up to a Asian pride rally and was like, hey, why don't you all just go back to China? You're not allowed to say go back to China, James. That's that's a crime now. That's that's one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard. You know, uh, when when did I mean under the auspices of free speech, right? One is supposed to not get uh, you know it back, feel feel back into a corner when when they're expressing themselves. And such a such a thing as go back to China is as silly as someone saying to me go back to Africa. Yeah, <laughs> so. Uh, no, no sympathy there for anyone crying foul. Uh, you know, it's just uh, "quote unquote" free speech, as they say. Ah, error should have rights, right, brother Martin? <laughs> right, "quote unquote" free speech. <laughs> <laughs> you will eat the bugs, and you will like it. We have so much to get to. Senator Warren, she's one of my favorite senators because she just provides so much comic relief to uh, to a world that just needs a little bit of levity. Senator Warren wants to end the filibuster. Why does she want to end the filibuster? Because she wants the U.S. Senate to vote for a bill that would outlaw or sorry, that would that would make abortion legal uh, in advance of the Alito opinion leak on Roe v. Wade. She wants the Senate to move forward quickly with enshrining that abortion would be legal. And in order to do that, she wants to wreck the Senate. Here she is talking. Uh, she, her emotions are not precipitated at all. I believe in democracy, and I don't believe that the minority should have the ability to block things that the majority want to do. That's not the Constitution. What we're talking about right now are the individual rights and liberties of half the population of the United States of America. I think that's enough to say it's time to get rid of the filibuster. We need to protect voting rights. We need to protect women's rights. And understand this, Mitch McConnell has made clear they're coming after everybody. So we need to do this, get it on the board. They're coming after everybody, Brother Martin. This is a scare tactic that they used in 2012. I remember this vividly. They use it successfully in Pennsylvania, in Michigan, and you know, in the Rust Belt, uh, when they were telling people that Romney is so radical that he wants to take away your birth control. That's what that's uh, that's the scare tactic that they're going to be using because of Roe v. Wade. Right, but we'll see if it, we'll see if it works. Um, I mean, so much talk about democracy, but I, I I think we're we're all pretty much aware, and we've seen how how big and vast the the pro life movement has has grown. Um, that it wasn't democratically uh, voted for; it came from the Supreme Court. Uh, <laughs> I see a little drink popping up, <laughs> um, but a- anyway. Uh, no, it, it's it's not something that's going to be changed immediately just for their convenience. They're not going to get rid of filibuster just to, to pass one vote. Um, and of course, this is right before midterms. Of course, that's why we predicted last week that this is probably why it was leaked um, because they want something really big on the table, something drastic on the table to people to say, no, we can't lose this. No matter how bad inflation has been, no matter how bad uh, the Biden administration has been, we just can't afford to to lose this this reproductive right. And so now they're probably stepping in and trying to gain a few things. I just disappeared on me. No, he did. Um, <laughs> well, uh, actually, James, too, let's get you in on that particular clip. Oh, wait, never mind. Mike's back. 
Oh, that's why he doesn't. I got so excited about brother. I got so excited about brother linking inflation and abortion. I was like, oh, I have a video for that. Here it is. I'm so (laughs) glad you brought that up. You couldn't have scripted any better. No, literally, where is this? There's a politician in California who says because of inflation, comma, we have to have abortion. This is an elected official. Uh, President Biden has said that inflation is the number one priority for the Biden White House to try to get under control right now. Uh, As you're out there in California talking to constituents uh, during this re-election year for Congress, uh, how does inflation compare to this newly uh, important in the sense of the Supreme Court decision pending uh, abortion issue? How do those two issues compare? Well, I don't think they compare. I think they actually reinforce each other. So the fact that things like inflation can happen and it can become more expensive to feed your kids and to fuel your car um, is exactly why people need to be able to be in charge of how many mouths they're going to have to feed. So I think the fact that we're seeing this jump in expenses, um, that we're seeing people having to pay more in the grocery store, pay more at the pump, pay more for housing, is a reason that people are saying I need to be able to make my own decisions about when and if to start a family. So I don't think we're going to see them. I don't think it's about comparing them or contrasting them. I think they reinforce for people just how big of a responsibility it is to take care of a family. It is a big responsibility, Brother Martin, to take care of a family. <laughs> but Let's kill them. So, <laughs> just, if you just murder them, then that actually solves the, the cost of uh, things going up, the relative purchasing power of the U.S. dollar going down. That's a good solution, right? Just murder. Yeah, so I guess philosophically, if we want to understand this this perspective a little bit better, personhood it comes from your your functionality for the, for these progressives. It doesn't come from your your inherent dignity and what you are, your nature. That's not where your personhood comes from. It comes from what you're able to do, which is why they can uh, say, um, "Oh, we can abort those with um, Down syndrome, mental disorder, physical disorders, all that kind of stuff." Is because uh, their functionality is greatly less than ours, and so that their personhood is greatly less than ours. And so, if we want to step in view the situation from their side a little bit um that's where that's where they're coming from and that's what's scary is that you only mean to society what you can do what you can provide what you can produce um rather rather than just you being a human being and so it's not really human dignity anymore because it's not dignity that that is inherent to the nature of being human um but it's just what you can do what you can produce you're a machine um and that's why they kind of, kind of treat us with barcodes now with with chips um and everything else it's 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 really their philosophy of what a person 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 persons don't exist um to the left persons don't exist Persons don't exist to the left. Um, persons don't exist to the left. Should we stay on row, Ryan, or should we? Should we? Should we? Should we move? Uh, you're in the cockpit. Wherever you want to go. Mm, I don't know. I feel like you're at the top left of the screen now. <laughs> um, well, in that case, um, let's stay on row for just an, a, a little bit more. In fact, because what's what's really at the heart of uh do we want to do this freedom tunes bit yeah do it do okay. it <laughs> what's at the heart of row it's not it's not it's not actually responsibility it's uh something else we need to protect roe versus wade what would abortion bans mean for the hard cases that no republican wants to acknowledge exactly aren't republicans so heartless that they would favor abortion bans even in the case of me wanting to hook up with hot babes, but not wanting to be a dad? Uh, 
For a tragic real-world example, take my frat bro in Texas who knocked up this totally crazy chick. Then Texas passed this law removing his reproductive freedom to tell her to get an abortion or he'll break up with her. And now, she's using being pregnant as an excuse to get totally fat. What? Women deserve to have reproductive But it doesn't end there. When he tried leaving her, she sued him for child support. But giving your child what they need to survive is a deeply personal decision that shouldn't be forced on to someone. Isn't that why we're here? No. Well, technically, yes. I mean... And overturning Roe v. Wade victimizes fun guys like me who just want to vibe with smoking babes who won't be able to if women have to take sex all serious and stuff because of babies and sh**. <clears throat> Overturning Roe versus Wade is an abuse of the court's power. Just because Amy Coney Barrett is much more hotter than the other female justices doesn't mean she can get to do abortion bans. The other female justices may look like lagoon monsters, but what counts is their smoking hot babes on the inside for protecting the rights of guys like me to get with baddies. Shut up, shut up! Don't, don't listen to him. We need to remember what this is all about. Exactly. Guys like us wouldn't be able to get laid as much and stuff. So let's keep Planned Parenthood counting body parts so I can keep counting bodies. Thank you. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. All right, I'm going to check my white privilege here again. Right? Remember this guy? There it is, your white privilege card. You're throwing it James, out. James, you're up. What do you think about that? <laughs> <laughs> I think he froze. Oh no. James, we lost you. But you know that we're speaking of ACB here. They are marching outside of her house. This is menacing. I don't know. I don't know if I could sleep at night if this were happening outside of my house. I don't know about all of you. Would unnerve me just a little bit. I mean, it's a little creepy. It's you know the the, the whole Ruth sent us thing. Yeah, from hell. Ruth sent us from hell. <laughs> Ruth is a demon. Um. The fact that they have their own clerical uniforms and their own liturgies, let's say. I mean, that's that's a liturgical movement, what they're doing there. You know, it's almost like, about a, that, guys. Yeah. And, uh, like an anti-procession. No, we're trying to get your reaction to, uh, you know. Uh, to the freedom to, to, to freedom the freedom tunes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's crazy because that's exactly what the left is trying to ignore. They're trying to ignore the reality that there, there are vast – the vast uh, majority of people out there who procure uh, abortions uh, usually have no other reason than because it, it's getting in the way of their, you know, having fun, getting down or whatever it is you want to you want to say. Um, and uh, this is this is precisely why we need to keep attacking this from this uh, perspective. You know, a lot of these numbers, people always come forward and say, well, you know, working moms this and you know people have to go out there and work and but really really this, this is not the greatest excuse because you're taking away a human life 
to basically satisfy one of her need, which is lesser than that of bringing or bringing through uh, to, to to term the birth. I mean, the, the life of a child. You, you yeah. know, you can't sort of talk your way around it. So this is a perfect example of how using their their uh, you know using something like this, this cartoon, Freedom Tunes, expresses the reality of what's happening out there is people don't have any valid reason. Uh, and so they sound idiotic uh, when they're out there just spouting away at what they're saying. And, um, you know, getting to the point now where a lot of people are starting to see that, you know, even voices, I guess, in the past, you know, National Review, you know, people say, oh, you know, I'm pro-life, but, you know, but now it's like uh, they're starting to see that people are in, indeed recognizing that this is a real human life. You know, it's not just rhetoric to go out there and say you're you're pro pro life. Pro life right now means today, you know, to have teeth, and to have teeth in the game means you can't back down when uh, five judges are on the precipice of overturning Roe versus Wade and say, well, you know, let's hold on a second, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is kind of where all this is going, and it's good because now we can actually have a real discussion about why people are out there making poor choices about uh, the unborn. Outside of ACB's house, this brave man with a camera did have a productive discussion with one of these uh, Ruth sent us. You're gonna be you're gonna be shocked at the very first reason she gives for why she's outside of ACB's house and why ACB is wrong. The argument is that um, women are wearing them right now to illustrate a time where women didn't have rights, and women started wearing these in these last couple of years when Amy Coney Barrett was appointed to the court. Uh, the irony is that they're afraid that a woman is going to be taking away women's rights. Your thoughts on that? She's Catholic. Catholic is letting their religious doctrine interfere with their ability to write sound legal doctrine. But is it, is it her religion that's doing that, or is it her jurisprudence, her, her, her view of science? I haven't. I mean, I personally haven't seen all. I'm giving you my opinion. Yeah, and I'll admit I have not seen everything. But what I have seen, uh, and what I've read about her opinions, uh, and what she's taught when she's at Notre Dame, uh, there was nothing about the faith had no bearing. Her her faith had no bearing. Now her her faith, I'm sure, does compel her to take a more pro life position. I'm not a Catholic. But, it's also possible that the fact that she is an adopted mother is influencing her inability to see what it's like to carry a pregnancy to term. Well, she's had five kids on herself, by herself. Not everybody wants to have five kids, or four kids, or one kid. How do you feel about protests at Catholic masses? I, I, I wish this video didn't come because I wanted to see what she actually thought about protesting Catholic masses, but the very first comment out of her mouth, Brother Martin, very first comment, well, she's a Catholic. That's why she has to be discounted. Anti-Catholicism is the last acceptable bias in these United States. It is, it is the foundation of this country. It is absolutely true that to be a Catholic means that you are ultimately in a minority. And if you're a faithful Catholic, it is okay to persecute you. It is. And, you know, I'm still trying to understand whether or not it's, it's literally just about a, a religion or, or there's something um... – I mean, I'm remembering from the Cristodo Wars is, is really thinking that the Vatican really has a strong, it's like, it's like foreign influence kind of thing. It's foreign political influence. Um, also, they just hate the faith for what our morals are. Uh, they also hate the natural law. 
which is, of course, um, I mean, the natural laws of participation in the divine law, and um, obviously God created it. But nonetheless, it's something that, that we can know through the light of reason. It's not something that uh, requires uh, divine revelation for us to know as human beings. I mean, Cicero and Seneca and Aristotle, Plato, they all spoke of, of the natural law. Um, so it's not something that's exclusively religious. Um, however, as I spoke earlier, personhood um, is, is unique, which is why we, we can go back to the, to the forms of, the, of Aristotle, of uh, you know, the four causes, um, to kind of lay down our argument for why at the moment of conception um, the, the human soul, the person is, is inserted into the matter. But uh, again, our age is not philosophically ready or prepared to understand those kind of arguments because if they start from square zero, they're, they're metaphysically and on a completely different page than, than we are. And so it, it's, it's, it's really hard to have those conversations. They, they, they might seem religious, but precisely because of that. Um, so it's a very hard time to, to really explain our position and to show how rational it is um without it seeming religious um but it is you're, you're right to be anti-catholic is, is the last acceptable 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 um, bias in this country but even that i mean some catholics attack you just for being catholic um so even amongst catholics you know yeah it's a circular firing squad uh speaking of attacking catholics ryan what would you do if this were your parish So full disclosure, this video goes on for two minutes, and in two minutes, the vast majority of the men sit, sitting there just sit there and watch. They just sit there. Mm -hmm. Now, well, I wouldn't. Uh, I guess part of it depends, too, on... Uh, so like my parish, for example, has a security team in place. They have ushers. They have people that are more or less deputized to get up and do something. I'm usually there with five kids. So, um, you know, my older kids that can sit, you know, in church and not run afoul of the usual dictums about keeping your kids in order. So if, uh, you know, if somebody gets up and we actually there was one time at a daily mass where some guy just. I don't know what he was on or what was going on. He just kind of walked up. He was like in some jumpsuit, just kind of walked up to the altar at a daily mass. And already there are about six, seven guys up there, uh, all armed, by the way. And and I'm usually concealed carrying, carrying at mass as well. And so just uh, just as a, a chorus. So it's, uh, you know, because of the times we live in, ideally we wouldn't do that. But because of the times we live in, it's kind of a necessary evil. So it with with that being said you know if nobody was getting up and i've been looking around and they're disrupting the holy sacrifice the mass i'm gonna get up uh you know especially if it's women who do not appear to pose a violent threat in terms of pulling out a gun and shooting people although you never know um because because ideally in a situation um you know if you got a bunch of people with guns in a parish they better know what to do if something like that happens which is really like you would in any public place is you protect innocent people, especially children, you get them into safe places and then you meet the attacker there. You don't try to take down the person in a big crowded place. So I would get up and, and I would not draw a weapon because I'm not some crazy gun toting person of leftist imagination, but I would, you know, say you need to leave right now. 
very loud and then start beckoning to people if they're too cowardly to get up, which again, in my parish is not going to happen. There's a lot of other people would be there before I even got up. But if I wasn't, yeah, I'm going to get up and we're just going to politely say it first, ma'am, you need to leave. This is a private assembly and you're disrupting it. And then as they continue, especially if nobody else gets up, I'm going to get a little louder. I'm going to start pointing to people and get them over here. And usually what happens is that nature abhors a vacuum. If someone is getting up, leading, other people tend to get up and follow. And then, you know, hopefully ushers would get in and then we could, you know, push, you know, at least get them into the back. Just you just get a bunch of people and gradually walk them back a little more. Don't touch them. That's the other important thing. If it's someone like that, that's not offering any kind of violent you know, resistance is you just keep moving in a way that intimidates them and moves them back a little bit more. Because as soon as you touch them, now you've got an incident. Now they'll file a police report. And then so you, you just got to be careful about how you do things within the law, but also within the fact this is private property and they're disrupting it. They do not have a right to be there. Across the street is one thing in terms of the law. <clears throat> Ideally, they wouldn't be able to do that either. But, you know, but in the church, no, they can't be there. So you can push them mm -hmm. back gradually just by your presence of people saying, no, you can't be here. You need to get out now. And so don't, especially if it's, you know, it's a bunch of women like that. They're there to scream and bark, but they don't have any bite. So you know, it's not anything to be scared of. And so many people are scared of public confrontation. Um, I'm not a belligerent guy and I'm not particularly an imposing guy, um, you know, but and I generally open carry. And I, I've diffused a number of situations without even needing to touch the gun. Um, you know, I'm not afraid to get in and do that. So, and I hope other people, you know, at least have the same, you know, idea as well. At least the same, you know, it, it's not even courage. To me, it's just, it's just what you got to do. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's necessity. I mean, we used to, as a people, as a culture, we used to be able to correct each other. If somebody was doing something that they shouldn't be doing, uh, strangers used to be able to correct other strangers and say, Hey, what are you doing over there? Knock mm -hmm. that off. You know, that's how we, that's how we maintained culture. That's how we maintained unity as a people. And people are cucked. They're too scared. Everybody. I uh, know. I mean, cur uh, lack of courage, fear, blind fear is ubiquitous. It affects uh, almost everybody. Almost everybody I know when it comes, when the chips are down, they're, they're a coward in a situation like this. And that's why when you look at a clip like this, you see almost every single man seated, un, you know, afraid to confront these women because they're wearing re red robes and, you know, who knows what they're going to say. One of the things that they are going to say is that overturning Roe v. Wade is white supremacy. So let's talk about this because I think yes and no. Um, this is kind of where I lose their plot line a little bit. So if you have some more insight into this, I think it would be great um, to hear it. But here's the thing. Yes, I absolutely do believe that this is in large part about white supremacy and wanting more white babies to be born so that white people can preserve their majority. The problem is it's not going to do that because this is disproportionately going to affect brown and black women who are less likely to have the resources to travel to other states or to other countries to get the medical care that they need. And thus, more black and brown women are going to be forced to give birth that don't want to give birth. And that's going to entrap more black and brown people into foster care because black and brown babies are harder to get adopted. There are absolutely, absolutely white women and white families out there that want to adopt black and brown babies for the virtue signaling and the white savior complex. Um, but most of them are going to wind up in foster care, which I guess then would mean that uh, more white babies for the white families to adopt and more black and brown babies to entrap in poverty so that they can be uh, abused for their labor later in life, I'm guessing. 
But, um, yeah. Yeah. No matter what. James, I, I had to turn her off, James, because she was she was tempted to keep going. And I was tempted to let her keep going. But that's about all I could handle of that. I'm happy you cut her off. Uh, she's just not sure exactly what she's saying. I mean, you can keep turning this thing and spinning it and spinning it and spinning it. To, you can find every conceivable reason to believe uh, other than what the reality is, which is the, the re- reality of all of this. It goes back to the very principal purpose of every life, you know, and every life does, in fact, matter. Every life is important. And so you cannot operate aside from that premise. You can't push that premise aside and then try to figure out all the reasons why not to bring to term a baby that is in its mother's womb. You know, so whatever she's going on about white supremacy, this white supremacy, that that's that's her basically uh, virtue signaling, you know, mm-hmm. oh, you know, I hate my race. I'm renting my clothes into, you know, we are slave owners uh, <laughs> going back. My ancestors owned a couple of mixed breed dogs. And, you know, it's like, what is that? There's always a reason to to question something. The reality of this, again, goes to the point. Well, well, let's delve into this a little bit, you know. So I keep mentioning this on Twitter. Nobody seems to bat an eye. We had people in the continent of Africa selling other people into into slavery. So there's there's guilt everywhere to be had. But you cannot move past this idea of racism if you don't put everything out there on the table. Everyone is guilty. Ancestrally, everyone is guilty. And so you just got to realize when are we going to start playing on an even field again because it's been like 300 years you know uh we've been dealing with these stories and it's now it's hanging on even until today everybody every every single person in you know uh whatever uh woke university system out there keeps spouting the same thing we're sick and tired of hearing about racism uh about virtue signaling someone's you know uh, uh you know white you know savior complex or whatever it is they want to call it you know people want to exercise charity they want to bring people into their home and that's just what it is it's a black and white issue sorry i wasn't supposed to say that but this this is actually a good point to to talk about you know the fact that that slavery in the united states wasn't merely always confined to black africans I mean, my part of my ancestors, the Kellys who came in through Boston, Irish Catholics, the Allens who came in through New York, New York, Irish Catholics were slaves. They were slaves to industry. They were slaves to industrialization. And if they died in a factory, there was no insurance. There was no workers comp. There was nothing for them. And in some ways, actually, Irish slaves, Irish workers were way cheaper than African slaves. And therefore, it was okay to beat an Irish slave to death. It's no big deal. It's like losing a, uh, a chicken or something. Whereas the prize, the thing that you spent a lot of money on was an African slave. And people forget that millions of Irish men came after the famine, during the famine, came to these United States trying to build a better life for themselves in the middle of the 19th century and what they found here was that they were second-class citizens that there was you know a, it, it wasn't really racism against the irish because it, it it wasn't racism it was 
it was an it was an ethnic hatred of the Irishmen who came here, and part of that ethnic hatred was intertwined to anti-Catholicism. This country was never Catholic. It, it, it there's there's nothing crypto-Catholic about it. If we have any one thing that has bound these United States together, it is anti-Catholicism, and that was manifest in the Irishmen who came here and then the Italians who came one generation later and then the Czech and the Germans and the Germans and the Czechs who were Catholic, they were so unpalatable to the sophisticated puritanical, uh, you know, Northeast that they were pushed as far West as possible. And that's why a lot of the Midwest that's farming country, they were like, Oh, these people are stupid. They're, they're meant to farm. Send them to the Midwest. Send these Czechs and these German speakers and these and these yucky Catholics, these undesirables, to the Midwest and let them freeze to death there. Good luck farming. That's that's the that's that's the true history of these United States. Sorry. Breach. Well, there's also an there's also an irony in this whole thing, too, in as much as uh, she's sitting there whining and uh crying like so many of the women about uh, you know oh white supremacy scared they're gonna more white babies it's like well wait a minute um they're the founder of <clears throat> contraception and abortion in this country the person that made it happen was margaret Sanger, who uh, addressed the clan directly although there is a picture of that that's photoshopped but she actually did address the clan and get an award um, from the Klan, she was absolutely a proponent of uh, racism against blacks. She absolutely wanted to eliminate the quote unquote Negro race, as she put it. She, uh, you know, absolutely thought that abortion and birth control were perfect for eliminating uh, black people. And if, guess what? If you talk to a lot of uh, pro life Southern Baptist, uh, you know, types of pastors, black Baptist pastors, you know, th- there's a lot of them that are united in alliance that say, Hey, this is bad news. We don't want this thing because all of this was meant as eugenics against us. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, the part that the course, the media will never tell you during the summer of love, L U V love when they're <laughs> taking down every statue in sight, uh, the black pastors in, in of all these Baptist churches in the South, they got together and they said, the Smithsonian take down your statue of Margaret Sanger. And they said, Nope, we're not doing it. And they said, hey, that's racist. That's against it. Nope, that one stayed. Take down Robert E. Lee, who never owned slaves. Uh, deface the 54th Massachusetts, the first black regiment allowed in the U.S. Army. Um, deface that. But don't take down Margaret Sanger that declared in the pivot of civilization, we're going to eliminate the black race. And let's Hey, uh, yeah, so I was telling... Uh, I was telling this, this story sometime this week, uh, and this is something I want to bring into what you were saying here, Ryan. Uh, a lot of people forget about the story. This is the story of uh, John John Riley um, during the Mexican-American War of uh, 1847 or something like that. Um, John Riley was an Irish immigrant to the States, and during that period, they were looking for people to sign up uh, to go to war. And at that time, uh, the state of the Irish here in the States was, was quite uh, deplorable. So a lot, of, uh, a lot of Irish, a lot of French, a lot of Germans, uh, they were given the opportunity, of course, to go serve uh, in the United States Army. And upon completion of their service, they were promised to, uh, to get uh, citizenship. 
Now, who wouldn't jump at this idea, right? You know, so finally the Irish, the French, and the, uh, and the uh, Germans were going to be now on par with regular Americans. Uh, and so, so they thought. They headed down the, to south of the border, and they, they got uh, basically along the way had been mistreated so uh, abysmally by uh, their superiors. And uh, they got down to the south of the border. And looking across the rear, uh, rear ground, they saw uh, people basically in the middle of mass. You know, the priests with, you know, the host, the elevation. And they looked at each other and they said, what, it is, what is it we're doing here together? We're fighting for people who treat us like animals. They don't love us. They've uh, conscripted us almost basically into this army. And we've agreed to serve, but... These people are Protestants, and the people across the water, across the rear ground, that they want me to fight, these people are Catholic. Why am I serving these people? So guess what? In the middle of the night, when uh, everyone was asleep, a few soldiers defected U.S. Army into the Mexican Army, and they fought side by side with the Mexicans because they understood what the Mexicans were fighting to preserve. They understood the Mexican culture. They, They understood what it meant to be Catholic. Right. And so this is the, the the push and pull that we've been going through for centuries now is f- fighting to find our identity, you know, being pushed to the sidelines because we don't necessarily share the same faith as the people who came here and were yeah. able to to start running this country you know, without a, a, without a Catholic mind. And so yeah. John Riley, obviously, uh, uh, the name of the, his uh, battalion was uh, San Patricio's. I believe, and still uh, in that in that uh, area, Patrick's still. Brigade. Yeah, absolutely. That's it. Yeah. And, and no, and this this brings up a good discussion, and, and, and maybe we can just kind of linger on this point for for a bit and bring in Brother Martin into it. Our identity as Americans is so different from the identity of anyone from Christendom, especially, or perhaps anyone from almost anywhere else in the world. Um, I think all four of us have had the good pleasure to travel extensively overseas. Um, I've lived overseas. You have lived overseas, uh, James. You've lived overseas. Actually, all of us have lived overseas. Um, there's a permanence to Europe. There is a permanence to Asia. Uh, even if it's an error, at least there's permanence to it. There's a de- definable culture. Uh, there's a permanence to, to Africa. There's uh, people, people think in terms of try, you know, uh, when I, when I was overseas recently, I met an older lady and I told her what my surname was. And she said, oh, you must be a Protestant then because that's a, <laughs> that's a, that's a Northern Irish name. You must be from Belfast or from London. And I said, well, actually, no, but my Irish surname would have been either this or this. And she said, oh, I know plenty of Allens and plenty of Kellys, good Irish Catholic names. Think about that. We don't have, we don't associate a religion, an identity uh, with our names in this country. Whereas if you go to like, uh, you know, parts of France, you're going to have Celtic names. And then if you go to other parts, you're going to have more French sounding names. You know, uh, for example, a lot of the Thibodeaux and Ribados and Robichaux that we have down in, uh, in parts of Louisiana, especially Acadia. These are all the venerable descendants of the Vendée. Those are names of the Vendée. Uh, we don't. We have no context for this. And one of the things that I think, 
we struggle with. And I want to kick it over to Brother Martin because this is really goes down to like the principle of identity. Principle of identity is under attack, that a thing is, that a thing has its own identity and it knows itself. We as Americans really we 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 don't have an identity, we don't know ourselves. One of the one of the ways to implement communism is to take away an identity. One of the ways to take away an identity is to strip a people of their roots and their culture and their history, to sever us from our roots. How do you do that? You topple our buildings. You topple, you, t- you, you rename our streets. You take down our statues. You make us ashamed of what, what, what limited Catholic history we could possibly have that we could grasp onto. You make us ashamed of that. We are a people without an identity, Brother Martin. We are a people. Uh, freedom's not an identity. Melting pot is not an identity. We, we don't have an identity. I, I, I feel a longing for my family for, for, to, to, to trace my bloodline and to, and to appropriate an identity with whatever the, the biggest portion of my European bloodline is, which I think is Irish. Um, I would rather be Irish for all their problems. And some of their problems are way worse than, the, than, than what we have in the United States. But at least what they have is they have a connection to Christendom. At least what they have is Catholic roots. We have no Catholic roots in this country, Brother Martin, and anyone who says otherwise is high. You're probably right. Um, but what's also interesting, too, is I think, I think evolution has something to do with this, the doctrine of evolution, precisely because one of the subjects you learn in studying like philosophical anthropology, which is, you know, what, what is man as man? How, does, how is man different than the beasts? And I think you, you posted uh, something from a live chat, you know, a man without culture is, is a monster. Well, it's true. A man without culture is a beast. Why? Because culture is actually one of the things that differentiates us from beasts. We can have culture. We can have art. We can have mu- music um, and all these all these other expressions, expressions that mean something with meaning. Um, one of the things that uh, computers can't grasp, this is I mean, kind of going back to last week, we t- spoke a little bit about AI and artificial intelligence and whether or not we could actually create something that, that's like man. Um, computers can't understand they can't apprehend but they also um even with the equivocal words or univocal words analogical words they can't understand different different meanings or 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 expressions 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 of such so in the deletion in the american culture of culture you know uh of, of modern architecture just being square flat very boring very bland um is is actually making us more like beasts in that uh there's nothing very different than just putting a bunch of bricks together in a, in a square and calling that a middle school versus a, a, mm-hmm. a beaver's dam um, or a bird's nest. It's it's there's there's no real art to it. There's no beauty. There's no you know there's no historical context to the to the shape of the uh, uh, the architecture. Um, so I think that that's one thing. Another thing, I guess, in terms of being Mexican, um, because I was born in the United States. What's, what's interesting for us is, um, and this is something that a lot of people have said that that are of my generation or or even born in Mexico, but came here very young and grew up here in the United States is that uh, the, the Americans always call us Mexican or always say we're too Mexican and the Mexicans always say we're too American. And so even, even those of us who, who even grew up with, with Mexican parents, speaking Spanish at home, uh, receiving the culture from grandparents, um, there is something about uh, the American culture that, that kind of makes us assimilate to it. So it kind of destroys us, uh, sucks us in and, and destroys us. But I think uh, kind of connecting these two things back to, or this back to what we said about even pro-life is that, uh, we hear the, constantly the, the the term a better life, a better life. People come here for a better life. Irish came here for a better life. Unfortunately, um, that's always in a materialist sense. It's, it's never in a spiritual sense. It's always material. It's always for um, something material, something tangible, um, always, always for, for profit, for, for material gain. 
um, of course, to, to provide for one's families, everyone needs that opportunity. Um, but then it grows into something else. The, the American dream always calculated um, in dollar signs and never mm-hmm. calculated by one's ability to, to worship God freely. Um, mm-hmm. that's, I think that's, that's uh, well, it it's, has to do with the, also the Protestant work ethic. You know, all, a lot of uh, Latin American um, countries, Italy, they always have the siesta um, because it's, there's time for family. There's time for food, which is, has to do with culture, conversations with your family at, 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 at mealtime. Americans just don't do that. We, we just pass by the drive through McDonald's and then keep going to the next That's activity. Right. Um, right. there, there's, there's, yeah, Americans kill culture. We Protestants kill culture. And it, and it is the height of irony, uh, Ryan, it is the height of irony. I think that in these United States, we are doing more to protect traditionalists, uh, the movement than anywhere in the world, maybe outside of France. France and the United States are probably neck and neck. And in terms of a per capita, I think France has us beat. But in terms of gross numbers, we have by far the most Latin masses, by far the most trads, by far the most practicing Catholics, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And yet all of the traditionalists in the United States, uh, not all, but practically all, are totally divorced from Christendom. And so we're trying to like make it up. It, it's almost like it's almost like uh, if you have a, the ten blind kids in a room, you know, and they're just like out there feeling for the walls and stuff. And it's like, okay, it's good to have the liturgy, but but the liturgy is an outgrowth and an expression of a people and a history. It is, and and unless we can recapture that. I mean, wearing wearing your basketball jersey on your podcast and talking about how based America is, that's not Catholic culture. There, there's a truth in that, and as much as the liturgy is an expression of the people, uh, the the culture in a certain way, but it also informs the culture. And I think that's one of the things that in the United States traditionalists have going for them is that the tradition itself informs the culture and helps affect those who go there and say, yeah, there's something about this. And where do they gravitate to? They gravitate toward medieval Europe. They gravitate toward, you know, whatever it happens to be as like an interest point as as something like, wow, it'd be great to be like that in some way or some form. And they don't rightly understand it, but they're trying to approach it. And then there's others though, that, it doesn't really take, I mean, it's just like the gospel of the, the sower and the, 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 the sowing the seeds and some of the seeds get in rocky ground and, you know, and that seed really is the traditional mass. And you have some people that are just so ardent in their Americanism, others that are more ambivalent <clears throat> and it's hard to say. Um, and, and note when we say Americanism, <clears throat> we do not mean those who love their country and are patriotic in the sense of loving the land and loving their countrymen. And, we don't want to denigrate anyone that thinks, hey, well, hey, great things were done in America in spite of all these problems. And it is my land. And right, n- none of that is denigrated by, Amer- you know, the term Americanism. Mm-hmm. The term Americanism, especially as Pope Leo Thirteenth defines in Testament of Valencia, is uh, basically, you know, the idea that progress trumps the tradition. Basically, it's liberalism, 19th century liberalism, as expressed yeah. in certain circles in this country yeah. and, and in France, too, I might add. Um, and so that's not that America's evil for that reason, but rather the idea that, well, what we do here is the future. And so therefore the church needs to conform to what we do here. And there are people who really believe that who've really fallen into that. And I've even seen people that are dead set against say Vatican II, they're dead set against Vatican II's document, Dignitatis Humanae, that on the other hand, enshrine America is like the greatest thing that ever was. And it's like, wait a minute here. Um, so what you're saying is that 
you think that American you know, political order is the very best that's ever been and could ever be. And yet at the same time, you know, you want the tradition of the church, which said that's not so. Uh, it's valid in its expression, but is that the greatest thing that ever was or could be? Eh, that's questionable. Mm. So there's so many ways before I go in like a 20 minute rant, I'll just, <laughs> the simple, I know I want to, I, I want to take the bait. I want to talk about Americanism, but we have to, there, we have to go to wine box Pelosi. Yeah. And by yeah. the way, people call her wine box Pelosi. Do you know why they call her wine box Pelosi? She because likes the box she acts like a total drunk. She's just a loser. That's why people call women like this wine box. The impact that, his, that it is having on food for the world. So when you're home thinking, what is this all about? Just think about when I was hungry, you fed me in the Gospel of Matthew. It also I was so pleased that Mr. Meeks, the chairman of the Foreign Affairs Committee, was with us because we talked about sanctions. James, this is the third person in line to the presidency of the United States. She is, uh, she claims to be a member of the Roman Catholic Church. She's not sanctioned by Archbishop Cordelione in any, in any manner, any capacity, not corrected at all, publicly to our knowledge, right? This is, she represents American Catholicism in the mainstream, and here she's 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 quoting scripture to justify sending forty billion dollars uh, to to Ukraine, ten billion of which will end up in cash in a house in Miami owned by Zelensky. James, your teleportation to a new room has muted your microphone. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm I'm messing around with uh, backgrounds here. Um, what I was trying to say was, uh, it's absolutely, uh, asinine that she's even still standing there as a legitimate, uh, uh, Catholic in front of the USCCB, you know, it's almost as though, uh, they got a blessing from, from Pope Francis. When I say they, I'm including Nancy Pelosi and all the other pro boards in, co in, in, in Congress. Uh, they got a blessing from, uh, Pope Benedict. And now it seems, Benedict, I'm sorry, from Pope Francis. And now it seems that they've even ramped up. The antics even more now they're out there just saying whatever it is they want because they they feel like they are actually untouchables uh it's a, it's a great it's it, yeah it's, it's a great thing it's it's certainly uh laughable somebody like that who actually has no morals probably doesn't even understand the text she, she just read and then is virtually uh virtual signaling about uh giving yeah she drinks adrenal you know except it's not actually not working if that for her it actually reverses her age <laughs> You know, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, you just had, it, it, what, what's that, what's that movie where, um, uh, it's, 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 it's all like the anchor and like, you, you can't put a question mark into the script cause he'll read the script. <laughs> <laughs> I think we just had yeah. that moment. Right. I could, I could put a drill crow on the screen. We just can't say the word. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, yeah. So, but, Basically, we are sitting here and then we're being told, yelled at by the uh, by the Catholic, uh, uh, you know, by, by the Catholic House of Repre House of Representative. Yeah, right. And uh, you know, I don't, I don't get it. You know, uh, the forty billion dollars to Ukraine, 
is basically just uh, more money that is going to cause uh, more friction between Russia and the United States. You know, so well, if, this is a, a wrapping it, up of, yeah. If you thought that the third person in line, a woman to the presidency of the United States was shrill, wait till you hear the comments of the second person in line, also a woman, second person in line the president of the United States, vice president, Kamala Harris, named after a demon. I just uh, presided over the Women's Health Protective Act vote, and sadly, the Senate failed to stand in defense of a woman's right to make decisions about her own body. And let's be clear, the majority of the American people believe in defending a woman's right, her choice, to decide what happens to her own body. And this vote clearly suggests that the Senate is not where the majority of Americans are on this issue. It also makes clear that a priority for all who care about this issue, a priority should be to elect pro-choice leaders at the local, the state, and the federal level. Because what we are seeing around this country are extremist Republican leaders who are seeking to criminalize and punish women for making decisions about their own body. Heels up, Harris. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. I'm so glad that she weighed in. You know, it's been a while since we talked about Kamala on this uh, on this broadcast. She slept her way to the top, and she's proving to young women everywhere that if you want to break the class ceiling, you too can sleep your way to the top. But, you know, she keeps talking about women, Brother Martin, and uh, she keeps talking about, you know, all these women who need to control what happens to their body. I don't think she's aware that a new gender just dropped. Cake gender. Okay, I would describe xenogenders as a gender that could not typically be described with terms such as masculinity, femininity, neutrality, androgyny, things like that. It's more of not how you relate to a particular gender um, experience, but more of how you relate to things. For example, cake gender. Um, I know a few people who personally use this. Um, it's typically described as them feeling light and fluffy or sweet and warm. And it's not something that you could typically describe with the terms masculine, feminine, androgynous, etc. Another example of cake gender would be if someone feels like they have different layers or flavors to their particular gender. Brother Martin, <laughs> Brother Martin I find you to be light and fluffy and warm and to be multi-layered. Are you a cake? <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm trying to. It, it's hard just to, to to try to relate these things like between light and fluffy to gender. It's like uh, they, I don't grab onto this thing. There we go. <laughs> but um, it's, it's it's like talking apples and oranges. Literally, it's, it, there, there's there's no there's no way to to actually make understand this incoherent sentence or or there's, there's nothing there's nothing there. It's, it's a cake gender. I mean, no, seriously, you can't make this up. This, I thought that this was, I, I, I actually did a little bit of research. I tried to find this young lady and see like if, if this was, you know, like one of those accounts that is just making fun of the left, you know, if this is a satirical thing. No, she's dead serious. She really thinks that there is a cake gender. Here's, a, here's another young lady who has an interesting opinion about that. Do you remember that one time that one guy was like, the tap water's turning the frogs gay? <laughs> that was funny. Yeah, and then it wasn't turning them gay. It was just causing the male frogs to grow female reproductive organs. That was 
Pretty classic. <laughs> Wait, what? Oh, come on, you've heard this one before. Herbicide gets in the water via farming runoff, likely, according to research, has adverse effects on hormones and vertebrates. What are you gonna do? I don't know about this one. And then the owners of the herbicide lobbied the EPA so nobody else could do research on the harmful effects of the herbicide besides them. This isn't as funny as the frogs turning gay. Yeah, you know, saying the government organizations that are supposed to protect us and the corporations that are supposed to benefit us actually put profit motive over ecological harm every time. It, it's not as catchy. If only the frogs were just turning gay, am I right? I don't like it here. Join the club. <laughs> oh brother. Um so there there's a scholastic phrase, natura sequitur esse, nature follows being. Right? The the, the nature, you know, the, the nature of the thing it, it is it, it expresses what although I gotta watch out here, I'm not an expert metaphysician, I'll probably make an error, but um the being itself, what you are, your nature is fit to that by God, the nature of that thing expresses the being right and again unless I'm, I'm, I'm expressing the metaphysical point wrong so it, it, gender it, when you look at this term gender this is kind of a, a newer use in the 20th century to describe sex sex is what we had uh, mas et feminina male and female in the latin and that's how you were understood. And it was based on, and you just look at biology. The biology is also, you know, follows from the being, right? And so the nature of sexual relations are naturally, what they, what does it do? Uh, it form, it creates a baby. That is its natural purpose. You look at all the organs in both male and female and what they do. And it creates a baby. It forms a new life. That is what it's designed to. Now, because of the defects brought in by original sin, there are problems that it doesn't always work. It doesn't always happen that way. And the, the pleasure attached to it so it gets misdirected as, as an imperfect good, right? And a particular good that in, in lieu of the circumstances is evil, say, for example, outside of marriage or what have you. And we can go in and all that moralizing on the marriage question. But when we get down to just the brass tacks, what is sex for? It's for producing a baby. Biology tells you that. You can't get away from the fact that biology, it is that is what it does, right? So then when they started bringing in gender, what is gender? It comes from Latin genus, generis, which means a kind or a type of thing. And so the, the gender in grammar is, is a type of thing. It doesn't have necessarily a link to biological sex, except in things that have biological sex. But everything in most languages, except modern English, really, and a few others, has a, has a, a gender to it. A tree, the light, book, you know, even a computer, right? It, all these things have a gender to them. And people who speak romance languages, like I was talking to a Frenchman once, and he said that, yeah, even though we have a neuter gender, even things in the neuter gender, we always imagine it like a he or a she because of the the nature of the gender we, the, the only sorry the only example of that in english is our sure should be old good old ship right uh, why is it she because the um you know ship was a she in, in uh, old english right and so that's the the reality of that situation that that's what gender is all about and not assigning 
characteristics. Oh, she's light and fluffy, so she's a cake gender. Whatever nonsense they're going to come up with. It's just not so. But, you know, again, and it, all this stuff, it, everything in transgenderism is denying being. It's denying human beings. Mm-hmm. It's basically saying that the human body is not what God made it to be. And it doesn't do the things that you know, God intends to have happen with that and so on and so forth to everything else. And that, that's the real evil of it. It's just like, there's a, there's a Tolkien quote that people have been using, um, you know, to, to post for the aberration of the, the new Tolkien thing that Amazon's producing, you know, is that evil cannot create good. It can only, um, adulterated or master i can't remember the the full thing and, and that's that's true expression the devil can't make his own version of marriage so he makes a mockery of true marriage the devil can't make his own human being, so he makes a mockery of a human being and that's what he unfortunately and again all these people are suffering and so i don't mock the suffering of those who identify themselves as trans they they are suffering and no instead of addressing their suffering they're turning it into a right and, and the same thing with you know, abortion people want to you know enjoy themselves in a certain way and it's disordered and they want to say yeah i can have all these things without marriage I, I, I all the things we saw from kamala and from even back to elizabeth warren in the beginning of it is the same thing that denial of that basic principle of reality not to a secular essay and so and here we are uh yeah we want to deny that uh the purpose of sex death babies we want to be just, and again, the Freedom Tunes thing was perfect for putting that into place. And who's driving it? Immoral men, ultimately. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. Um, speaking of you were right, we talked about Elon Musk. He's buying Twitter, supposedly. He was questioned earlier this week about whether or not he was going to bring back the 45th president of the United States, Donald J. Trump. To Twitter, here's his answer. Are you planning to let Donald Trump back on? Well, I, I think there's, there's a general question of should Twitter have permanent bans? Um, and, you know, I've, I've talked with Jack Dorsey about this, and uh, he and I are of the same mind, which is that uh, permanent bans should be uh, extremely rare and really reserved for uh, people where they're trying to, uh, for, for accounts that are uh, bots or uh, spam scam accounts, uh, where there's just no legitimacy to the account at all. Um, I, I do think that uh, uh, it was not correct to ban Donald Trump. I think that was, that was a mistake um, because it, uh, it alienated a large part of the country and did not ultimately result in Donald Trump not having a voice. He is now going to be on Truth Social, um, as will uh, a large part of the sort of the, the right in the in the United States. Um, and so I think this could end up being, frankly, worse than. Now, uh, let's unpack one of the things that he said, because what we, we were the only ones to say the deal hasn't closed yet. The deal could fall apart. We don't actually know that Elon Musk is running Twitter. We don't actually know. Actually, we know he's not because he doesn't own the thing. The deal isn't set to close until October. I wrote a piece in LifeSite News talking about his deal structure. It's way overly equitized, uh, which basically means he's putting more cash into the deal than your typical leverage buyout. 
Typical leverage buyout is similar to a mortgage. In a mortgage situation, most people who buy a home with a mortgage put less cash into the home than the bank does. That's exactly how a leverage buyout works. Musk, in a typical leverage buyout situation, would put less cash in than the conglomeration of banks who would help him debt finance the transaction. That's why it's called a leveraged buyout. Leverage is debt. It's a leveraged transaction. In Musk's case, he went out and he said, I'm going to put two-thirds of the cash in myself because I'm the richest man in the world. And out of the $46 billion, he's going to put two-thirds in and he's going to go to the banks for the other third. It's a low-leverage deal. Setting aside the usury component, setting aside the moral component, let's just talk about modern finance. Elon Musk put forward a deal that was so unorthodox and nobody was talking about how unorthodox the deal was. But what it did was it gave him an excuse to sell a bunch of Tesla stock. Typically, ladies and gentlemen, typically, when a founder CEO starts selling down a major position that he has in his company and it's a publicly traded security, that sends, that startles the market and that sends downward pressure on the price of the stock. That always happens. When executives start selling, people say, oh man, this guy must know something that we don't know. There's probably trouble there. So what Musk did was he engineered a situation which would allow him to sell Tesla stock at its all-time high to the tunes of billions of dollars, billions of dollars, without rattling the market, without raising an eyebrow from anyone on the street. And now, lo and behold, breaking news today, this morning, he's putting the transaction on pause. Ladies and gentlemen, the NASDAQ has slid almost 30% year-to-date. Tesla stock is down. Twitter stock is down. All the techs are tumbling. Bitcoin is down. Everything technology-related is down. But Elon Musk was able to liquidate his position in Tesla at its all-time high because everyone thought he was raising money for two-thirds equitized deal. Ryan, we were the only ones who said he's not in control of Twitter. If you see something good happening on Twitter, it's not Musk to, you know, and this deal could fall through. It appears as though as of today, as of right now, the 13th of May, the 105th anniversary of Our Lady of Fatima, the deal is dead. It could very well be. Uh, I wouldn't go so far as to say it's dead. Uh, you know more about the finance and the, and the, the hard, uh, application side than i do but at the same time there was a like a letting go of things and people is like wow look i'm getting followers back and wow i got my account back and wow i got this and there were certain things that uh certainly did you know happen and there's a multiplicity of explanations for it all of which are very plausible from well they were they were opening stuff up and changing algorithms so that they wouldn't have to uh you know get stuck with things you know, the hide things when, when Elon takes over, whatever it would be. But in the end, it's not because Elon was calling the shots. Mm -hmm. It's rather because, you know, the, the, whether gaslighting or their, their own interior workings or, or policies or whatever it was working through or to sabotage him in the end, if, if they, you know, were that hostile to it. However, it's all working out. Uh, the, the reality is he is not, has not been, and unless this thing gets restarted, will not be 
in charge of Twitter. And really the only thing that we got out of the whole thing was to enjoy a week or so of the left melting down. <laughs> which is not which is worth something brother yeah, Martin. it's I'm definitely that. <laughs> there's definitely at least some quantifiable economic value to liberal tears i miss liberal tears. i miss trump because i live i miss liberal tears i don't miss trump because i because i i don't miss vaccines and i don't miss lockdowns and i don't miss uh all of his antics but i do miss liberal tears and that's can we add some uh, can, well, let's take it just as about seven seconds and add some conservative tears to the liberal tears for flavor I'm gonna send him to outer space to find another race. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. It's true. I mean, I guess liberal tears is the only is, is one of the few consolations we have in this valley of tears. Uh, besides a good drink and a good cigar smoke, not not whatever this guy was was jamming to. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, he's a, he's a libertarian, and I think there's a, there's a strong tendency among certain Catholic podcasters to to see libertarianism as some some sort of a uh, medium ground, meeting ground between the left and the right, where we can somehow get along. Um, I mean, it's a it's a fake friendship. It's a friendship where uh, you meet together for common interests, but as as soon as you deviate from those interests or whatever else, and then, then you're, you're a step in the back. Libertarian libertarianism isn't our friend. Free speech, sure, it it, it uh, lets you say certain things, but it's not going to let you do other things um, because it'll be imposing on other people's rights, like like abortion, for instance. Um, the the modern libertarian uh, party in the United States is very is very much pro-abortion. Um, so it's it's you, you have your free speech, but then you also have to permit abortion. So it's it's not a well. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about free speech because Elon Musk is touted as the as his champion of free speech. And the boomer Catholics, you know, like the church militantites out there, are they, they all love free speech. They all love religious liberty. They all love Ted Cruz and religious liberty and Americanism and free speech. James, free speech is condemned solemnly by uh, practically every pope in the 19th century. Free speech is condemned in the syllabus of errors. Blessed Pius IX. It's condemned by Pope Pius X. It's condemned all across the 1800s. It is called absurd. It is called a cancer on society. The reason why is because you don't have the right to be wrong. Error has no rights. You don't have the right to blaspheme God. Now, James, libertarians, to brother's point, libertarians are, are, are fond of saying, well, free speech is a temporary good. We can use it as a stepping stone to get to Catholic integralism. We have for, for now, we have to support free speech because the alternative is just that the left is going to suppress us. I say I think we're better off and more galvanized when we're being attacked than when we are more or less just blended in to a culture and multiculturalism, multipluralism. What say you? Well, yeah, you know, we're going back into this idea again. You know, let's revisit truly what the idea of Americanism is, especially under uh, the, the, the first uh, Archbishop of Baltimore, John, John Carroll, who was going, bending over backwards um, in the 18th century to appease the overlords uh, who were the ruling class here. You know, of course, they didn't trust Catholics because they knew, for instance, free speech did not necessarily matter to the avid practicing Catholic, even to the normal practicing Catholic back then. Free speech really meant nothing. 
if you couldn't guarantee certain things within, you know, the Catholic auspices of, of what, you know, uh, it means to be Catholic. You know, you can't speak ill of the Pope, for instance, in 18th century in front of a Catholic. You know, that would not be taken very well. You couldn't, uh, for instance, uh, uh, rail on the Blessed Virgin Mary or uh, even our Lord's name. You couldn't take our Lord's name necessarily in, in vain, right? And so these are all the things that uh, Archbishop Carl Carol was willing to, to, to sideline just to make peace with the ruling class here. You know, so this has been a problem for us Americans, uh, at least since the very beginning. It, it's it's just uh, getting to the point now where we have to realize that this was a big a problem for us in the beginning, wanting to fit in, wanting to be approved, you know, wanting to be seen as part of the American landscape. Um, even with all the money in the world that uh, we procured Maryland for, you know, uh, it wasn't able to do us any good because in the end, we're still bending over backwards to our overlords. To, to get some sense of recognition. Look what look, look how far backwards JFK bent to get recognition uh, yeah. from, from 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 the world. You know, and, yeah. what, and what did it yeah. give him? A bullet to the head. You know, um, Maryland so is such yeah. an Maryland is such an interesting example. I'll give it back to right. you, James. But many people don't know Maryland. It was founded right. to be a Catholic colony in these United States. Right. And what what the what the voters in Maryland did was they enshrined religious liberty. They went from a Catholic colony to a religious liberty colony to a colony right. that tolerated uh, false religions, dead religions. Right. right. And in so doing, within one generation, in Maryland, Catholics could no longer hold office. They couldn't own land. They couldn't be uh, have prominent uh, public jobs. That's what happens when you have religious freedom and freedom of speech. You're exactly right. And they use the very things which are abhorrent to us as Catholics, you know, to basically, they, they reel us in with the temptation of uh, getting everything, uh, the trappings of what it means to be American. They reel us in. We concede, we say, yes, yes, yes. Concessions are made. Uh, and for, you know, the, the for, for the time, of for the space and time of, how long it takes for you to close your eyes, open it back up. Everything is yanked from under your feet, right? And so this is what happened to Maryland, you know, as you pointed out uh, rightfully. And then you have, uh, you know, speckles of uh, brilliance back in that in that day, right? You know, uh, Aristides Brownson, I, I, you know, I, I, I believe, you know, back then, who was pointing to these to these things. And of course, we have John Dagger Hughes, who was mm. pointing to these things. And still, the, this man was sort of pushed aside by the ruling class even by other bishops say well you know you're you're talking about this way too much so just kind of think of what patrimony we would have here in this country if we had stood fast and stood tall because these games we've been playing with the usa and freedom of speech has been going back 300 years and it's gotten us nowhere so we really need to start standing on our own two feet and actually saying we want to be catholic and we cannot yeah. live and abide by these Protestant uh, uh, manufactured way of living, which is to basically to give ground to the devil, essentially. But the devil has more rights. Than, the devil has more rights in the United States today than, than your average Catholic priest. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I'm cutting that and putting that. it on Twitter. Ryan, I, I, I'll go to Ryan and I'll go to brother on this issue. Is it permissible, Ryan, to take the libertarian point of view and say, well, 
I know that free speech isn't the ideal, but it's a stepping stone in the right direction. And so I'm going to be for it. Isn't that a tempting thing to go for? It's an extremely tempting thing to go for. And, I, and I'm tempted by, by myself. Um, I think there's just a little bit of prudence that has to go along with it, really, which is that, all right, in a situation like we find ourselves in today with the type of government that we have today, uh, it, it's reasonable to say, well, free speech is not an ideal. It's not a good. It's not something I want to fight for. But as long as it's technically speaking on the books, I'm going to profess the faith freely and use those laws to defend my defending the faith. But I'm not going to advocate for those specific types of laws. And I think that's fair enough. Um, but it's like, I, I like, you know, in, in my own life, you know, I have conversations with people of various walks of life. You know, I like that we can public, and that, that's not what free speech deals with. Free speech deals with, can you, on a Sunday morning, go over to a Catholic church and leave pamphlets on all the cars that say the Catholic church is the whore of Babylon and uh, the Catholic church suppressed the Bible and the Catholic, you know, all the, these typical little, you know, Jack chick type of karate arguments. Um, you know, can you leave those things on the vice on, on, under the windshields, you know, underneath the wipers of every Catholic car um, in the parking lot? Well, no, actually you don't have a right to do that. Um, you know, can I come out and stand in front of a Catholic church and hold up uh, Exodus 20 verse, uh, I forget which verse it is, a little addendum to the first commandment, which is meant specifically for the Jews of not making images, which the Protestants want to make into its own commandment to say, yeah, yeah, you can never have any image whatsoever. You know, um, do you want to have, you know, someone across the street doing that? That's what free speech means. And, and no, nobody, nobody who's thinking rightly wants that to be a right. Um, and, and so many other things versus just general conversation you have with a neighbor in a public place. Um, you know, if, if a, a state which tolerated Protestantism, Protestant comes in and you're talking about free will and he's going to express what he thinks about it, there, there's no reason to clap him in irons and put him in the stocks or whatever jail because he said something in a tavern. And as you were talking, we're talking about the right to publish books, to, you know, declaring that the church is an error and I, this particular heretic or this particular, you know, religious, you know, whatever, am right. That's what frees, that's what we're talking about. And no, you don't actually have a right to do that, all right? Because a right is a moral claim to do something in accordance with divine and natural law. And so that's why, you know, you can't talk about a, a right to profess error or a right to do evil things. And St. Robert Bellarmine actually dealt with this when he was in charge of the Holy Office. And he, he was getting, getting a petition from uh, Catholics in Hungary to say that, hey, why don't we just talk about uh, enshrining all religions and all that because the Hungarian Lutherans were very powerful. They might align with the Turks, but they also might align with the Catholics at the time, at the time he was, he was dealing with this, 1600s. And there was this question of whether we do allow this. And Bellarmine said, absolutely not, under no circumstances. You could, and it his feast day today in the traditional calendar. And Bellarmine said, you could allow for a toleration of the Lutherans in the kingdom of Hungary, but you can't say every religion is good as another because that is to do evil so that good will come of it. And you can never allow that. So, and so on and so forth. So yet you can't allow or support across the board, freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of worship in the way which libertarians require you to embrace. Even though there's a lot of libertarians I like, I get along with them. 
uh, were in similar wavelengths on certain things in terms of their effects, but not in terms of their principles. Mm-hmm. And, and this is one of those principles. You just can't get around it. It is a dividing line with libertarians and Catholics. Yeah, it is. And uh, I like how you landed that plane because there is a line between libertarians and Catholics. Hate to say it, but they cannot coexist with each other. Brother Martin, before I cut to you, I feel like we need to bathe our brains in something sane from someone who knows what he's talking about. You can react after this. Get heaven without the risk doesn't matter. You know, two and two are four. Well, yes, yes, of course they are. But they're also five. It's more creative. It's more broad-minded. It's more progressive. It's more interesting. It's more free to say that not only are two or two or four, but also they're five. And they're 15. And they're five million. Do you see the creative extension and possibilities? of refusing to be imprisoned by the narrow-mindedness of two and two or four. I mean, really, that's how these minds work. With a huge number of people today, it's a waste of breath to try and discuss. Because their minds just aren't rolling on wheels that they ought to be rolling on. Their minds are off the hinge. How can you make somebody think when his mind is unhinged? You can't. What can you do? You can pray for him, you can love him. That's about it. The position is fast being reached today where the only thing that will still save any significant number of souls is a chastisement. The timing, I don't know, you don't know, none of us knows, but surely that's what it's coming to. The flood of sin, the tidal wave of sin with the computers, with the internet, you know, this morass of sin, that's the only way to stop it. The only way to bring it It's gone too far. For the modernist, the faith comes from inside me. I feel that God exists. I want God to exist. I need a man God. I feel a man God. He's so, he's so, oh, I can't express it. But He's God, <laughs> Okay, I feel better prepared for your opinion on this, Brother Martin. We can we can we can end our discussion about religious freedom, freedom of speech, libertarianism, uh, and rebuilding some semblance of Catholic society on you. No pressure. No pressure. <laughs> Just had Billion Will. Bishop Williams had come out before me, so that always makes my uh, it's always like speaking after someone who's on fire at a talk or a conference, and then I'll well, shoot, I have to follow that. <laughs> but anyway, libertarianism I mean, society, the uh, society exists for a purpose. Aristotle says this in, in his politics, and the purpose is for the flourishing of man. And in order to create a political society, you have to know the purpose of man. Um, but what libertarians disagree with Catholics about is precisely that purpose. Um, what we mean, what we're for, what our destiny, uh, what our destiny is to, to live with, with God forever in heaven. Uh, libertarians instead just want freedoms because they, they just want, they don't, they don't want freedoms. They just want privacy. They just want uh, to, be, to be secretive about their actions and, and just to do what they want and have, have nobody bother them. Well, if you're doing good things, that's fine. But when you're doing harmful things against, like Ryan was saying, uh, rights come from our nature. But oftentimes libertarians disagree with us on, on what human nature actually is and what it's for and what it does. Um, 
And so with, with those stark differences in mind, we can we can maybe create a constitution together, but then we can't live out that constitution in the exact same way. And so society is already polarized um, with, with libertarian uh, politics. But also this kind of it reminded me back going back to uh, that girl's video about cake, cake genders in the sense that she was she was like, oh, we don't fit within masculinity and femininity. Um, but these two universals, like it's, it's the very denial of universals. Everyone wants to be so unique and so particular um, that we forget that each person is is unique. However, we have a lot of similar features, essences, such as human uh, and then and male or female. Um, again, uh, an essence is a is a genus with a specific difference. And we there's this little ladder of specific differences. First, uh, there's a, a body, then an animal, then then human then male and female. Um, and then we get down to their particular soul and, and who we are, a unique individual human being, especially before Almighty God, created by him. Um, but all throughout society and everywhere, there's a, there's a constant denial of universals. And as, as I think I said last week, that these, you know, these, the, the denial of universals allows us or forbids us to even use logic because as the syllogism goes, all men are mortal. Socrates is a man. Socrates is immortal. Well, if we de- deny universals that it's kind of essentially part of man to, to be mortal, then we can't say all men are mortal. And so us four, we could be the four, four first human beings never to die. Um, and so that's, that's where this uh, modern philosophy eventually takes us, is, is, to, is to living in a made-up world, a, a virtual reality, um, but, but with real consequences. Yeah, virtual reality, no consequences. I would even say that, that, that libertarians are not really arguing for freedom. What they're arguing for technically is just license. Absolutely. It's uh, generally true, and I think... Uh, just as someone's moved through those various positions, uh, a lot of libertarianism tends to be more reactionary. You know, government's bad and these things, which I agree with. And but I'm only an anarchist in as much as it's default of a proper monarchy that can take its that can properly uh, rule according to natural law and subsidiarity. And the the position I espouse as a quasi sort of anarchist really would be no different under monarchy ultimately when you get down to it. So, but with libertarians, it's so much a reaction. Yeah. Government does this. And of course our modern secular liberal governments do do everything bad. Uh, And so therefore, yeah, we gotta, we gotta get this and maximize everything on the individual without any notion of society around it. And I think that's one of the big problems with it. Even though there's a lot of libertarians I respect, there's a lot that in terms of the effects of where we're trying to get to in terms of the, the general freedom we want, there's a lot of agreement, but the principles, that's where it all gets really wonky and out of whack. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's, right. that's right. Um, I know you want to jump in James, but fake Catholic usurper and chief Joe Biden wants to jump in and he wants to scream about something and we're just gonna let him do that. People lie up all kinds of vehicles. Just get a box of food and they're drunk. How could we forget? People were hurt. And what does the micro crowd want to do? Forget it. Forget it. God says the United States of America. The idea that people would have to wait in line an hour, an hour and a half to get a box of food. Okay, so that video did not age well. Um, Here we are, May 13th, 2022, and people are lining up to get a box of food, specifically baby food. 
There's no baby formula in parts of the United States for some reason that no one can explain. I, I buried my, my head into a, a Twitter thread that was trying to explain how there are only two major uh, manufacturers of baby food. And, and the reason for this, James, is because the baby formula uh, manufacturers, one of them I think is Abbott Labs or something, uh, they figured out that if they could place their product in hospitals and if you could get you know, a, a, a postpartum nurse to hand your branded formula to the new mom, that the new mom would be loyal to that brand for the rest of her life as a mother. And so there was this huge push between these two brands to try to get their baby formula placed in the hospitals for free so that, you know, you could, you could hook people. They were pushers. Well, one of those two brands now can't make baby formula. Uh, so it's a huge shock to the market. We keep being told, especially by libertarians, that free market laissez-faire capitalism is so great, James. But free market laissez-faire capitalism gave us, what, a monopoly. And monopoly kind of stinks when one of your monopolists can't perform. Muted. Yeah, this is quite an unfortunate situation, you know. Uh, uh, people are of course, up in arms, and we're dealing with uh, certain market principles that we've uh, called on, you know, uh, to ourselves because we basically want this laissez-faire uh, market system, which, uh, you know, for the most part is kind of when you have two two giant forces, Coke and Pepsi, and somehow uh, Pepsi stops manufacturing, you know, goods. Uh, you know, what are you stuck with? You're stuck with uh, short supply because Coke's going to run out and you can't manufacture Coke fast enough to get it to, to, to people who, uh, need it, you know, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> but you know, poor, poor analogy, but uh, you know, I'm just trying to get the point across that we, you know, we've gotten people hooked on something, right. That is not necessarily natural, you know? And so we've gotten away from the idea of what it means to, 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 to pack, uh, what you know what it needs to actually feed uh, uh babies you know you don't have to go into a store and pick up I'm not, of course you know they're going to be except there's always the exceptions to the rule guys yes i i get that you know so don't come at me with well you know i have to do this because i i can't produce this or produce that i'm not talking about that I'm just talking about the, the, you know the reality of what it means to actually uh feed feed people right now you know we don't have access to not just baby food right so i mean well, let's Jump, in, jump into access to actual uh, simple vegetable garden. You know, people don't know how to plant vegetables anymore. You know, people have gotten away from the idea of, uh, you know, planting in soil and, uh, you know, flower flower beds that provide uh, nutrients, you know, that uh, people complain that, that are turning into weeds. You know, well, you know, we don't even have that education. You know, not all weeds are weeds per se when you can actually use certain things to cure illnesses and illnesses and things like that. So we're in a situation right now in the 21st century where there's so much going on around us because we're being thrown, you know, there are things being thrown at us, you know, that, that are going to help us. But yeah, that, that also locks us in and that, that helps us or forces us to lose the ability to, to think through simple things, you know? So we're in this unfortunate situation where we're running out of baby formula and we don't know what to do about it. And this is a libertarian crisis in a sense, because we're operating using free market principles. Um, I really don't have an answer except to say we need to stop, uh, you know, relying on 
big brother to tell us what it is we're going to put in our bodies. And we need to start breaking away from uh, the idea that if, if we are connected to, to, to the internet, if we're connected to television sets, if we're connected to, to the news, then we'll, we, we will get the things that we, that we need. We need to divorce ourselves from the idea yeah. that, you know, these people out there are going to tell us how to live and start living on our own, you know, get, get off the, get off the grid, you know, uh, plant vegetables, plant gardens, you know, try to figure out alternatives to baby food. There's a Kino, right. And some other, um, they're, they're, they're basically formulas to make baby food out there. You know, if we're running last minute to go to the store to pick up baby food, then we've gotten it all wrong, you know? So we need to start figuring out a way to operate without, uh, you know, being, being uh, forced into a, a frenzy. That's what they want. They want us to jump into a frenzy. That is that is what they want, Ryan. Um, it, it's true. We need to we need to be preppers a little uh, to some degree as as protectors and and uh, providers for our families. But am I being too conspiratorial when I look at the broad newscape and I see abortion is in the news? Roe v. Wade talking about babies. Now we can't feed babies. On the one hand, you're leaking good news for pro-lifers. On another hand, you're leaking bad news or creating bad news for pro, you know, for pro-lifers. It's like, you know, because because the main anti-life argument is how do you feed all these people that are coming into the world? Um, and now literally they can point to that. And so I see two things coming into conflict with each other uh, that are both contrived, both planned and both happening, converging at the same time, right before this summer of love that's about to come up, is that too conspiratorial for you, Ryan? No, although these days nothing's too conspiratorial for me. I think <laughs> ultimately, I mean, because all you have to do is wait a week, and usually most conspiracy theories come true, and then the media decries, "Oh no, conspiracy theorists are right. This is a problem because nobody believes the government now." Um, but with with the formula thing, it's it's another problem altogether because. For years, government has been putting out all these things to try to convince women, you don't need a nurse. You don't want to do that. Uh, it's going to be bad for your figure. It's going to be bad for whatever. I, I don't want to go into the specifics of it. But, you know, it's going to, you know, make you sag a little bit. You're not going to be as, as bright and beautiful and sexy as you were, uh, you know, before breastfeeding. So use this formula. And they've sold women on formula for years. I mean, you look at like a 60s recipe and formula. It's basically everything that's bad for your baby. Um, in the 60s, when he gave birth, um, you know, they, they take the babies and, and put them in incubators and, and start feeding them sugar water. Sugar right off the bat. That's what they're being given. Um, it, it's the, the, the whole medical system is a parody of actual medicine. And likewise, it, with, uh, you know, giving birth and everything involved, as far as the medical industrial complex has it, it's, it's, it's stuck in the dark ages of the 19th century. And they want to keep you there uh, for, for whatever insane reasons that I still can't fathom um, that, that, that are just completely anti-real, natural, healthy births. They want to get the women excited and fearful that, oh, no, birth is the most dangerous thing you can possibly do. It is so dangerous. You have to go to the hospital when having a baby is the most natural thing a woman could do. And the reason there was high infant mortality in previous ages was because of the lack of understanding of bacteria and infections. And now that most of that is generally under control, you don't have those same levels of infant mortality. And so 
you know, natural childbirth is much safer, whether you're doing it in a center, whether you're doing it at home, um, God forbid you're doing it in the hospital. But then again, you know, if that's where you're comfortable, that's where you should be doing it. I'm not, again, no one's constituted me to tell you what to do. Uh, we've had eight at home, um, you know, live children at home. And so it, it's, it's one of those things and, and, and nursing comes along with that. And the medical industrial complex has convinced you, no, you need this thing made by this company. You can't do it yourself. Just like with the gardens earlier and everything we're going to, you can't do that yourself. That's right. And so, and they got you off of nature. And now it's like, oh, and people have now depended upon that and they're taking it away. And so there are those women that, that do have a problem or like a friend of ours, a family friend of ours, their daughter was born with a cleft palate. There was no way for her to nurse. She couldn't she latch. Yeah, and I the, get it. But the thing is you can make baby formula at home with there simple are, ingredients. The, okay. This is, this goes to the, 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 the principle that everyone needs to understand here, that the exception does not prove the rule. You have to put first things first. You have to define the principle, the rule, the normative way of doing things first. You cannot be governed by the exceptions because if we're governed by the exceptions, then what about rape and incest when it comes to abortion? Right. Exactly. Uh, so you have to define the principle first. The and so, and, and, and with, with women breastfeeding, that's the most natural thing in, in the world. That's what the woman's body is designed to do. The fact that we have invented baby formula, I think is one of the most perverse and feminist things that exists because it detaches the woman from her baby. A woman and a baby should be attached. I believe in attachment parenting. In fact, there's a whole thing. Dr. Sears wrote a book about it. And I think that the baby should be attached to the mom. And when a mom wants to, and this should probably, I should save this for my unpop, but I have a, I have a killer unpop this week because I lost last week. Um, when a baby, when a, when a mother purposefully detaches from her child, so that she can entertain, so that she can clean the house, so that she can homeschool the children. When a mother gets a bottle and and teaches and, and introduces nipple confusion and gives the bottle to the baby for whatever reason, because she wants to shorten her cycle, because in in trad world there's a bunch of people who think that it's a competition on how many number how many kids you can have. So if you bottle feed them, you'll have them like rapid fire, right? For whatever perverse feminist reason that you can think of i hate baby formula i hate it i hate it as a concept i hate it as an idea again first things first there are people who cannot nurse there are babies who cannot latch i understand that but for the psychological development of the child it is the most natural thing in the world and if shame on mothers who do not do everything in their power to nourish their child in the way that God intended them to do. And yes, that might even include giving them bloody strawberry looking milk from, from chapped breasts when you're learning how to nurse a baby and it hurts like hell. Shame on the mother who's not willing to go through the strawberry breast milk phase for her young child because she has something better to do than to keep a human being alive how's that for a wrong opinion and saint alphonsus agrees saint alphonsus in his moral theology actually says that it's a moral obligation on the mother to nurse her child 
you know, every time I find out that something that I hold near and dear and, and believe strongly <laughs> is backed up by Thanos, you know, I'm just like, yes. Did they did they have formula by then? Back then, or was <laughs> yeah, it? Nope. They had wet nurses. Or, or he's just talking about blatantly like, feeding them. No, he says they have an obligation to feed them themselves because he's attacking the nobility that give it off to somebody else because there is oh, a dude. natural bonding period between mother and baby and he's yeah. looking at noble people he's hearing confessions of and he's seeing the disorders in the family and he's like um you know what you gave your baby to a wet nurse you completely ignored the thing until he was about six or seven and now you're mad that he has no bond with you here's why you have an <laughs> obligation to nurse your own child unless you can't obviously and then again the exception proves the rule not disproves it so yeah. if you can't nurse and obviously you can avail yourself of the means necessary, but what we should be looking toward is a long-term game. Again, wet nurses, uh, there, there is a family here. Uh, this is a number of years ago, a friend of mine that, uh, um, let's see, goes to the SPX, but uh, at the time, his wife was in a serious medical condition. She just had a baby. She couldn't nurse. And a number of women were producing milk for her. And so that she could feed the baby because because she couldn't do it herself on account of this really severe medical condition. And you don't have that everywhere, but we should be looking to create that wherever we can. Yeah, no, absolutely. Wet nursing is, is we should normalize it again. You know, as a concept, people are kind of grossed out by it, but it is far, far more natural than some synthesized chemical based powder. fructose corn syrup. Again, but the, but the reason why people don't like wet nursing is because you still have to attend to the infant. Someone has to be mm -hmm. around the infant. What we want in our culture is we want we want the sex without the responsibility. We want the baby without the mothering. It's the mm -hmm. same thing. We want to have children and even trads want to have a bunch of babies, but they don't want to parent them. Right. Want to have a bunch of babies, but they don't want to nurse them. Uh, and it's it's a it's a it's a real problem. It's a real problem. And. God bless St. Alphonsus. Um, all right. I think we have time for one more kind of humorous story before we have to head to the unpopular opinion segment. Um, we'll talk about Rand Paul and Ukraine next week, I think. Justin Trudeau, though, he is a never-ending source. He's a never-ending source of humor for all of us. We have two videos on, on Trudeau. Thank God we're not Canadians. And what do you and your family do to cut back on plastics uh, we uh, uh, we have uh, recently switched to drinking uh, water bottles out of uh, water out of uh, when we have water bottles uh, out of a plastic uh, sorry away from plastic towards uh, paper um, like drink box water bottles sort of things there's I, I will take Biden. Fumble, I will take Sleepy Joe. Bring back Sleepy Joe. Here's Trudeau trying to put up a Canadian flag. This poor fellow. Right. He doesn't even have. This is a two-minute video. I don't know that I can survive two minutes of this. He's just trying to put up the flag. Maybe he had something else in his water bottle container that was plastic but not plastic paper thing. Juice box. 
He was drinking a juice box. Maybe it was a hard juice box that he was drinking when he was trying to raise his flag. Oh boy. Oh boy. Alright, live, live chat. We're, we have another minute and a half of this. Do we want to watch it or are we good? I'm going to leave it to the live chat to decide. Do we want to keep watching Trudeau with his juice box? It's actually pretty entertaining. (laughs) (laughs) It kind of is. Like, it's very relaxing. I feel like, okay, we're easing into, you know, we're easing into the next segment of the show. We don't have to do, like, a hard cut like this. I'm going to send him to outer space to find another race. Okay, that's gonna yeah, be. That's great. That's great. I feel like I, I feel like uh, I feel like uh, Canadians expect everything to just work perfectly all the time. So there's no there's no prep. You know, there's no dress rehearsal. It's just hey, let's just yeah. go with this, and it might it might work. It'll it'll work. It has to work. Let's go. The, there's no troubleshooting that. at all. There's no yeah, like no, no, okay, no, let me isolate no. the problem. There's no. Yeah, can we get more pant ladies out here to help us, please? More pant ladies, come out here and help us. <laughs> oh man, I I don't really I. Honestly, guys, I don't know who's worse. I don't know who's worse between fake Catholic, you know, usurper in chief, sleepy Joe Biden, or Harry Castro's Lange. bastard child, Justin Trudeau. Yeah, Harry Lange, yes. I, I, don't, I don't know who's the worst. <laughs> and Trudeau doesn't even have the excuse of being old and senile. That's the worst part. Right. So I think that actually makes him worse. Biden at least has that excuse. <laughs> can can I mean, we just the charts in the Vatican? I mean, he's, he's, he's too old, and I don't want to mock him for it because God forbid when I'm that old, who knows what I'm going to do. But Trudeau, well, you're, you're not going to be smelling younger than hair, I am, Ryan. You're not going to yeah. be smelling people's hair. You're not going to be talking about you know children touching not your stroking legs. boys' hair in the pool or whatever right. he's talking about. That exactly. one exactly. You know, no, no, no. You know, by Biden's press secretary Jen Psaki, Psaki, um, she's 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 headed out, Lucky and her. As, as her parting gift to us, we have one conspiracy theory that is debunked. All right, this is the crack pipes were just a conspiracy theory, and and it's it's not real. You said in February that no money from a thirty million dollar uh, harm reduction program would fund distribution of crack pipes in safe smoking kits. The Washington Free Beacon uh, reported that they went to harm reduction facilities in five cities, and all of those facilities had crack pipes in their kits. Um, HHS would not say which uh, programs had applied for funding, and the recipient list is not out yet. So I'm just wondering if the White House can say if any taxpayer dollars paid for these crack pipes. No federal funding has gone to it. And is there any oversight to ensure that when that money goes out for the program that these organizations will not use federal dollars for crack pipes? This policy does not allow for crack pipes to be included. I would just note that this is a bit of a conspiracy theory that's been spread out there. It's not accurate. There's important drug treatment uh, programs for people who have been suffering from what we've seen as an epidemic across the country, and money is not used for crack pipes. Guys, when is the last time you heard a press secretary of the United States of America say the word crack pipe? I'm gonna send him to outer space to find another race.
I just can't. <laughs> somebody, somebody commented earlier. This is the stupidest meltdown of civilization in the history of mankind. We are the, this. This oh. is the stupidest, and I agree with that. I do too. It's true. Oh, and, and, and let me just let me just say something here, right? So it's so true. Right now, this is the stupidest time ever. For we, there's a movie. I forget what it's called. It's um. One of these Owen brothers uh, about the future. He he gets into some sort of cryogenic um, encasement as a punishment for a crime. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, yeah, and yeah, he yeah. wakes up. It, it's like a hundred years later, and everyone is stupider. And honestly, today you I mean idiocracy, like right? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. I feel like we're on parallel with that world right now. It's like we're pretending it doesn't exist, but this is exactly the time we're actually we're actually here. You know, so now we're we're talking with these guys about. You know, doing a little parlay about what it means to have free speech. You know, so we can't parlay with these guys because this these guys are stupid. You know, <laughs> we have to rename this show the Meltdown. <laughs> I think it'll be a separate <laughs> channel. <laughs> we are witnessing the the stupidest collapse of civilization. Oh, okay. I just can't emphasize it enough. The thing that we have to do, though, ladies and gentlemen, we have to grab. <laughs> and of course it's up to me first so um anyway the first book i've got i don't have a picture or a uh anything else to show you but if you loved the month of saint joseph if you love the month of mary i know i just shipped out about uh, 50 copies yesterday i put them in the post so they are coming out and so if you haven't got them yet, I do apologize, <clears throat> but uh, you won't be a miss. Uh, you know, you won't lose anything getting late. You can pick them up going into June. It'll be fine. The month of the sacred heart, <clears throat> the month of June, because the feast of the sacred heart almost always falls in June. And so the, uh, the month of the sacred heart, I have that book coming out uh, and I should have it ready to get to you before June even begins this weekend. I'm working post haste to get all that done. I don't have, again, I don't have a picture. I don't have anything, but I, I bought a couple of fonts. And so I've got some excellent layout in there. That's going to be even better than the St. Joseph in mm -hmm. the month of Mary books. And so I'm super excited for that. As uh, I, I put out on Twitter, on the Mediatrix Press Twitter, which is very different from my own Twitter. If you follow me on Twitter, you know, I have lots of spicy takes. I like to share a lot of spicy memes. I like to say a lot of obnoxious things. I share things from all kinds of people. I indulge my Trek stuff, which I'm not going to talk about tonight, or any pop culture stuff tonight, I promise, after last week, last month. No, last week, sorry. And uh, I'm not going to do that. So, But if you're used to my spiciness on my Twitter, Mediatrix Press Twitter is totally different. Mediatrix Press is just about what we do and the Catholic faith. It's not adversarial. It's not picking on the new right it's not picking on anyone i particularly disagree with it's all about sharing what we do so if you want to uh enrich your timeline with something i mean i don't post that often because i only have like 15 minutes every couple hours to get on twitter and just kind of veg <clears throat> so i don't get on twitter all day every day like some people do but the mediatrix press if you subscribe or you follow uh, us on twitter all you're going to get is quotes from our books uh, nice little history things about saints or other things we publish. You're not going to get uh, anything that like if you're looking for a break from the politics, it's, it's great. Just go ahead and follow us on Twitter, Mediatrix underscore press. 
uh, and you'll find us or just type it in in the search thing and you'll find us. So today there is a sale going on because it is the Feast of St. Robert Bellarmine in the traditional calendar. He actually died on 17th September, which was the day he chose to die um, in the uh, in, he, he established that as the uh, the feast of the the stigmata of saint francis he put that on the roman calendar so because of that fact that he's the one who put that on the roman calendar until uh, of course after vatican ii they made that private to the franciscans so <clears throat> when they made his feast day they said oh well we can't put him there and i don't know the reasons they put him in may but they put him in may so there it is so anyway so his autobiography great little work it's not in depth and it's not like a massive big thing it's going to tell you about everything but it's his own words about his life written to a couple of jesuits who just simply asked for it and, and so we have it here translated along with uh you know his notion of how to give sermons and his and, and an example of it in his sermons on the annunciation and the annunciation was really important to him because that's the feast upon which he was ordained and so that that was always a huge feast day for him. So he explains things like if you go to traditional masses, uh, whether it's the fraternity or the society or Sedevacantus or whatever, it doesn't matter. What's one thing you'll notice whenever the priest gets up to do the sermon after he's read the readings, he's going to uh, say the Hail Mary. And why do they do that? Uh, and Bellarmine explains there, we always greet Our Lady because as yeah, she received the Holy Spirit into her to, you know, to produce the word of God incarnate in her. So also he may become in our souls spiritually in the same way. So Bellarmine is an amazing and awesome spiritual writer. So I, and he's also an amazing theological writer against the errors of the Protestants of his day. So I recommend on the most holy sacrifice of the mass. Um, I don't have a lot of copies of this. I wasn't ready for this particular days of certain setbacks we've had. So I don't have massive stock, but I do have some books. So if you want to pick them up, on the Holy Ma uh, the Mass, where it's actually interesting. The first part's all on the sacrifice of Mass and defending that notion in Scripture. And then once you get over to the second section on the rituals, it's always interesting when he defends things like private Mass, uh, the canon, and things. It's like when he's arguing against Calvin or Luther or Booster or some of these early Protestants, all of those same arguments of the Protestants can be found in 1960s supposedly Catholic liturgical authors defending the uh, what they've done against the tradition. Then there is, on the Roman Pontiff, massive, massive book, 700 pages, and it's just awesome apologetic arguments. Um, most people know this book because of book two, chapter 30, what do you do about a heretical pope? And that's like forget that just forget about it and i don't say forget about it because i'm trying to make some attack on set of i don't care there's so much good stuff in that book that everyone ignores because you're just looking for that one thing what do we do about now all kinds of great apologetic arguments on the nature of the papacy on the fact that peter went to rome that he had successors and in all kinds of great objections to protestant arguments and recently I, I was in a big discussion with a missouri synod lutheran and had i not read bellarmine if i was just relying upon tracks that modern apologetics puts out i would have not had the material at my disposal to argue with this guy because Bellarmine really lays it out. He's dealing with the authors of his heresy. And, and I had all that material at my fingertips. He deals with whether the, you know, on the nature of antichrist in book three. And I also have the excerpted and separate book 
you know, the, the, the whole thing. But anyway, so it's in there. And then, you know, his spiritual power and his temporal power. It's a really amazing book for the historical witness on that. And then, of course, on the church, uh, with the first section on the church, which is in general. So that's on councils. What's the authority of councils? On the church militant, where he gives basically the nature of membership in the church. There's a certain error today that's really popular. Oh, once you're baptized, you're always baptized. You're always a Catholic. And Bellarmine shows how that that's just not true, right? You can be excluded from the church after baptism, and you are no longer actually Catholic uh, because because being a member of the church is based on a tripartite, public, visible indicator. That is your profession of the true faith your communion of the same sacraments and your communion with the same hierarchy. Those are the three things that make you Catholic. Um, and then that's in the treatise on the church militant. And so that the Ecclesia Militans, and so that it is the church in the world. And so he makes it clear. And then he gives on the marks of the church, which is also, we do sell marks of the church as a separate book. Um, but anyway, it, it, it's all in there. And then I have the one in the sacraments. I didn't pull it off the shelf to show you. Um, we're on uh, sacraments in general, baptism, confirmation. So, so I'll just lay out, um, I have, you know, more of the Oprah Omnia coming out. I'm going to organize, I have on purgatory, on canonization, and uh, that's all going to go into its own separate Oprah Omnia volume with, um, relics, images, and on the sacred liturgy, the design of churches, the sign of the cross, all kinds of great things that he defends against the Protestants. And so the controversy is a really great work. Um, I've got a donation button on the website and the, the, what your donations do. There's different scales there. You'll get eBooks at the lower tiers, the higher tiers, you're going to get the whole book um, and paperback or hardcover. And if you donate, uh, what that does for me is that allows me to pay my editor. I've got a dedicated editor who's very professional in the past. I use volunteers and they did, they did good work and, but they didn't get everything. And so errors slipped in. There's still errors there. I got to go back and fix typos usually and stuff like that but um i need a, i need a dedicated editor to pay and she's really good and and she's worked on stuff for me and, and other matters and so i got to be able to pay that and so when you donate you know i take that money and i usually put it to the editing to certain things for my subsistence while i'm doing this work and then i set aside a little bit if you're at the higher tiers to make sure i've got the money to send you books in the future so that you'll get this full thing as part of your and donation thing so so if you have the means and you have the the desire please do donate we really do need it and uh same thing on the saint alphonsus Liguori side for the moral theology uh the volume three is uh you know i i <laughs> i need to pay my editor so i get her working on the other sections and so uh you know and hopefully that once that's done i can finally get that out there and i really want to see volume four and five of moral theology go out this year you know, I've got a lot of the translation stuff done. I can't edit it myself because every, when you edit your own work, it's just like somebody represents himself in court. The, what's the expression? You know, he's got a fool for a client and an idiot for a lawyer, <laughs> that sort of thing. Same thing for somebody who tries to edit himself. You're just not going to see what you need to see. So anyway, that's that's my grift. I've taken more grift than anyone else is going to grift here. So <laughs> uh, there it is. And here's your punishment. <laughs> I, could use that. I could use a couple of those. <laughs> oh, brother Martin, you are you're here to grift this week. I don't know what you're going to grift, but I hope that it's money, 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 money. 
Hey, first of all, kind of an update on Father John. He's now out, out of the hospital, but please continue to pray for him because uh, he could always continually use your prayers, especially for his health. Um, another thing, keep keep uh, an eye on the Oblates YouTube channel this week. I'll be uh, posting another video, an update of our community. Um, over the past few months, since October, I was uh, in email communications with the local ordinary of our diocese, Bishop Johnston of the Diocese of Kansas City, Missouri, St. Joseph. And our communications were very, very cordial. Um, very, He was very kind in his emails. Um, one email dating to December 24th, um, he, he said, you know, he wasn't going to turn down the Oblates right now, but he just needed more information about us. Uh, so he asked me to send him a formal letter through the mail saying that this formal letter should in include biographical information, as well as information about your religious life, your stability, intentions, etc. And so in March, I did just that. Um, told us all, you know, just my whole story, background information. I've been 10 years of religious um, formation in, in Augustinian communities. Um, I, intent, I sent him a hard copy of our constitutions of, of why, how we're going to live out our traditional Augustinian charism. Um, and this past week, I got a, a very bureaucratic letter, something that was a completely different tone from all the emails, basically saying that all the things that he asked me to prove were canonically illegal. Um, and so he, the letter served as a, as a formal canonical warning. And what's just kind of interesting, because one of the things that he uh, explicitly asked me not to do uh, was to fundraise money. So if you want to support a traditional Catholic Augustinian monastery, you can go to www.oblatesofstaintaugustine.com slash giving uh, to help us preserve uh, the traditional Augustinian charism and, and Catholic religious life. Um, so there you go. I look forward to that YouTube video that fully uh, unpacks all of that. Yeah, me too. Uh, James, James the James the Lesser, you're so humble, <laughs> and you're and you're muted, James the Lesser. But I, but you're about to show us something important. Right. This is a great book. Uh, let's see here. How do I do this? There we go. Right. Uh, Ryan may recognize this book. This is a book from Mediatrix Press publisher. This is a great book. If anyone enjoys uh, the historian Eamon Duffy, uh, who basically uh, writes from the historical perspectives of uh, the Tudor era, uh, he's written a number of great books. This book, uh, for me, at least read, read like uh, the works of Eamon Duffy. And so uh, I take pleasure and delight in bringing this book forward to you, uh, readers out there who, or viewers out there who like to, like to read. This is, uh, you see how short this book is? It's about, um, I think it's about 80 pages. Sorry, 100, 120 pages. Um, it's, it's a very short read. It's a very good book. Uh, and uh, the language in there is very accessible. and talks about uh, the life of St. John Fisher. You know, and uh, it's written by Father Vincent McNabb. Great book. And I think uh, everyone will enjoy it. Uh, again, it's a short read. And it's published by Mediatrix Press. Ryan, you want to comment on this? Uh, one, it's in stock, so you will actually get it uh, reasonably quick. And uh, it, it is, I also sell another biography of St. John Fisher uh, by Reynolds, which is an in-depth, like a historical biography. Uh, McNabb's book, which James is showing there, is a wonderful book. And it's more, but it's more along the lines of hagiography, even though it is informed by authentic history, at least as McNabb had it in his own time. And so, and it's, it's an excellent book. It's, so if you're like, oh man, all, all this more complicated 
textbook style stuff is going to be far more complicated. Like Reynolds, it's a great book. Uh, but if, uh, you know, more complicated history books kind of dazzle you, uh, McNabb's book is going to be absolutely perfect because it's a life of the saint and it's written so wonderfully. It gives the drama of his life and everything he does. It, it's just a, a perfect book altogether on, on the life of John Fisher. And I highly recommend it because John Fisher is very much the forgotten saint. Uh, you, you hear so much Thomas More this, Thomas More that, Thomas More whatever. And Thomas More was a great saint too. I'm not going to diss more. He was a fantastic saint. But Fisher was a much better theologian. Fisher right. was the one right. to put his neck out literally on you know, on the chopping block in, in the end, but right. uh, to defend the marriage right. between Henry and Catherine, whereas Moore decided, well, I'm going to keep silent. And, and right. which was prudent for Moore to do, I might add, you know, is, is again, nothing to, to mock Moore or anything of that sort, but um, really and truly Fisher was the guy who defended marriage, not Moore. Right. Moore was in the background and he, what did Moore die for? Same thing. Fisher died for papal supremacy. And but it was Fisher who was doing the legwork, writing the books, and and even at the, the, the incurring the absolute disfavor of Henry. Right. Uh, whereas Moore continued as Lord High Chancellor until he said, "All right, I can't do this anymore," and then he got out. So and what's fascinating? Yeah. So what's fascinating about the character of Fisher is uh, he was, of course, the uh, spiritual advisor to Queen Catherine. Mm -hmm. So you wonder what gave Queen Catherine the, uh, the the you know the will to persevere. You know, she was obviously being educated uh, very strongly by uh, John Fisher. And John Fisher himself, you know, he was so strong with will, not of his own volition, in, in the sense that, you know, but he his daily, uh, you know, prayers and uh, call to that religious uh, life that he, he he was in, so so he was so immersed in, you know, he that, that uh, they sent three bishops into his cell to try to convince him otherwise, you know, and uh, this is the man who stood, stood tall, so, uh, they're definitely a, a forgotten saint uh, and one that should be remembered today. I just want to say that we are going to give our unpopular opinions for those who are dropping off from the live stream and they're like, man, this is a long grift segment. We're going to give our unpopular <laughs> I am going to grift one thing. I get two grifts. I get two grifts. <laughs> I know. You've, you've done well. You've done well today. Uh, I was thinking about grifting something that you said. This is, Maybe this will just spice it up a little bit i'm a pregnant trans man and i'm still a trans man not a woman even if i have a uterus i'm still a trans man i don't know what that was <laughs> i don't know i have no i have no yeah. knowledge of what yeah. the heck that yeah. was that sounds, oh sounds my goodness. like an ace and gary you know situation there okay uh here's what i want to grift if i can get this to work why is it on you ryan well, let's just do it this way. How about this? How about this? How about... Here we go. I want to grift the Three Hearts Pilgrimage. If you haven't heard of what the Three Hearts Pilgrimage is, it is coming soon. This coming October. It's in Oklahoma. It's a 35-mile march offering physical and spiritual sacrifices for the defense of the traditional family. The Three Hearts are the Immaculate Heart, the Sacred Heart, and the most chaste heart, St. Joseph. Uh, I, uh, there, this is, I think, the fourth year. I went to the second year. I missed the third year. I think this is the fourth year. Here you can see on the screen, Father Dan Nolan, FSSP Marine. Look, he's got all his headgear on, and he's got the way of the cross, and he's, like, leading the whole thing. It's awesome. It ends at Clear Creek Abbey. 
Uh, it's, I believe it's, it's either two or three nights of camping it starts on a Thursday. Yeah. You camp Thursday night, you camp Friday night, you camp Saturday night at different locations. As you make your way across the stretch, the 35 mile stretch, you end on a Sunday, uh, with a solemn pontifical mass, uh, or at, uh, at Clear Creek Abbey, they got some pictures here. Very, very fun. Um, as I said, I, I did this walk two years ago. Registration is now open. The three hearts pilgrimage.org. When I went two years ago, there were 500 people there. They were expecting a hundred. I don't know how many showed up last year. I think it was in the thousands. This thing is growing. Uh, you, if you go to three hearts pilgrimage.com or org, you'll be able to buy your tickets. I recommend doing that soon. On the about page, there's a quick history of how this began. It does have the blessing of Cardinal Burke. Uh, in October of 2020, he gave the uh, inaugural inaugural blessing. I think that's the year I went. So maybe the year before that was like the beta testing year. Um, so Cardinal Burke has blessed this particular pilgrimage. We don't have too many pilgrimages in the United States. This is uh, this is attempting, and it wants to become the American Shards pilgrimage. It is very challenging. It is very fun. Uh, my uh, at the time eight year old son made made the journey. He made the walk. Very proud of him for doing that. Um, I don't recommend wearing uh, hiking boots. I think you should just wear tennis shoes. There's a lot more just walking on the side of the road on the pavement than you would think. This is not like a march through the wilderness. Uh, so don't make the mistake I did of wearing combat boots. Um, but 35 miles uh, for Our Lady, for Our Lord's Most Sacred Heart, and for the Most Chaste Heart of St. Joseph. I think tickets are $50 for adults. It's definitely worth it. Uh, food is provided, and it is a good time. So definitely check out the three hearts. Okay. We have to do the final thing that people are hanging around for. Ladies and gentlemen, there are 40 comments in the live chat. By the way, I'm going to be at the three hearts. If you want to camp with me and tell me how awful I am and what a terrible human being I am, I'm going to be there. Just don't be mean to me in front of my sons. Okay. Uh, it's time for the unpops. Ryan, you go first. So brother Martin. So I have it shared in the screen. Is everyone seeing it? Yes. Okay, good. So, Brother Martin, well, there's an hour left because I said it too long, but uh, I think Brother oh, Martin is the clear winner uh, yeah. for last week, and so uh, he's reclaiming his title. So we need to do some. I need to figure something to <laughs> to catch up, uh, try to get back in the running. So, um, all right. So my unpopular opinion is that we talked a lot in the run up to Eastern Holy Week in terms of the pre-55 and restoring the pre-55 in terms of the Holy Week ceremonies. But that's not all that comes into it. One, there's the Vigil of Pentecost, which repeats the same ceremonies as the, the, the blessing of the fonts and so many things that you see during Easter. And so when the Pian Concilium, of which Bunini was a member, uh, came and looked at that, they said, well, this makes everything we did look bad. So we need to get rid of it. And that's what they did. So they completely chopped the, the blessing of the fonts and the vigil of Pentecost. And, but then all the, also the rubrics going throughout the year. I mean, from, from 1950, 
now from 1570 until 1944, there were a total of about seven missiles. From 1944 to 1962, there were seven missiles. That tells you how much they were changing. And so really, if we really want to, to recover authentic liturgy before the, the, the regime of novelty came in and the desire to change everything else, we really need to get behind movements to replace the entirety of the pre-55 that means no more saint joseph the communist worker uh bring back the saint joseph patron of the universal church on the you know the wednesday of the first week of may which was just we just celebrated not too long ago which has its own octave right bring back the prayers in all the colics the secrets in the post communions for the Pope, for defense of the church against her enemies, for, you know, the, Our Lady to guide and defend the church, etc. at every single Sunday Mass. Oh, well, that made the Mass too long, is what the complaint was in liturgical authors in the 60s. Yeah, what? what we're, we're talking about five minutes? Three minutes? How long is too long? Um, seriously, we're talking about adding a little more prayer. That's not that bad. And, and we're coming into everything they did following you know the reforms beginning in the 50s really become like what I, I think i mentioned it last week what father ripiger talks about you open up the hood of the car you see all these these things that you really don't understand you're like why is all this here well let me rearrange that so it looks better and you wonder why the car is limping around right and the same thing is true with you know we everything that goes into with liturgy in the 50s that the generation that came out of world war ii so we got to change everything just because, and you got all these academics that are like, we're going to put our private views of things and make that standard for the universal church. Now, don't get me wrong. I've got my own views of liturgy, the things I'd love to see. I'd love to see troping. I'd love to see all kinds of medieval usages, but I don't want to see that imposed on the universal church. I'd like to see some ordinary prove in some church to allow kind of re uh, restoration of some medieval usages in that specific church so people can go see as they, they put out documents to try to determine how that might have worked out and, and, and practice it and to do trial and error. I'm good for that. But I wouldn't want to see that imposed on the universal church. And likewise, for all these guys in the 50s came out of World War II, they said, we want to impose our, our views of these things on the universal church. So no. So my unpopular opinion is if we want authentic liturgy, we need to get back, roll back everything they did in the 50s to in terms of the mass. I'm not even talking about the bravery. So don't talk to me about Pius X and all this stuff. And I totally agree, but I don't want to deal with that now. <laughs> roll back all this stuff pre pre 55 for the whole year holy week is not enough all right roll it back brother martin this comes from a tweet i saw earlier this week um it has to do with relationships between uh i guess single adults usually in their early 20s uh and their relationships with members of the opposite sex uh someone on twitter it was a it was a female she was ranting about how she hated how guys uh constantly believe that she was leading them on because she legitimately took interest in their lives and wanted to meet up one-on-one -on -one and talk about their lives. I know for all of us that have been uh, traditional for a long time, this is kind of a no brainer. Um, but I think it'd be good to represent this largely to society that there are, there are significant boundaries, real boundaries that uh, single young single men and young single women still should have and to be very clear about their intentions and uh, should, should not, uh, become too familiar with one another um, in, in their in their discourses and their dialogues. Because, of course, when you become married, that, that drops off the face of the earth anyway. So why do you need to have 100 
friends that are members of the opposite sex when you get married all that has to go away anyway Mm. um so yeah uh young men and women should not uh become too familiar with one another in just discourse and conversations james the greater is muted okay so my unpopular opinion this week is uh, free speech. Free speech is more or less just uh, more government-approved speech. Uh, as we move closer toward uh, communism, uh, free speech will definitely start making more. Uh, it, it will actually make less sense, you know, to those people who are in power. You know, they understand that truth does not necessarily have, uh, you know, any grounds to to exist because truth. In general, for them, it's just arbitrary. So what, what, whatever is uh, our reality, which is our truth, c- cannot be what determines, uh, you know, how we're living our lives. And so we are being, you know, as Catholics, we're, we're being told that we have to accept uh, a definition of free, free speech, which compromises our own beliefs, you know. And anyone right now who is sort of latching onto that idea of, free speech in society will will soon see that free speech basically means uh moving away from common sense you know now common sense should obviously you know uh help move us in the direction of what should be guarded speech you know what what we should be able to say what we shouldn't be able to say but once we lose our ability to actually define things cogently you know we we don't have uh necessarily uh, the ability right now to even define what is good and what is evil. How how then do we expect to uh, to 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 live in a society uh, where we expect people to respect what we believe? You know, because people who are fighting against us, you know, uh, don't even respect our beliefs, but we want to parlay with them. And this is impossible. We're not living in the 18th, 19th century anymore. Uh, you know, where this genteel society of people having shared similar views of what it means to, 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 to live or to have common ground. We don't have that anymore. We're moving closer and closer to the idea of, of communism. And this is exactly the path it takes. You know, when you take out anything from society that means something, that is tied intrinsically to something. And that is what Catholics believe, but that's being taken away from us. And so free speech right now, today, is basically uh, approved government speech. And we can't see it any other way. So whatever the the thing today is, you know, it's going to be moved closer to what we don't expect. So people who are just rah, 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 free speech, free speech, wake up in 10 years and find, you know, that the devil has more rights than our priests do. And so my unpopular opinion tonight is free speech will essentially become government approved speech. Okay. Competition is going to be stiff this week. Uh, I think the votes are going to be split. Some people in the live chat are already writing me off, but here's why you're wrong. Here's why I'm going to win. It's unpopular opinion. For those of you who don't know what a honeypot is, I explained what a honeypot is when I showed you how church militants started hacking people's computers. They used a honeypot. So if you don't know what a honeypot is, check out that video. My unpopular opinion this week is that cryptocurrency is a honeypot what does that mean it means that it's fake it's elusive it's illusory it's uh ambiguous it doesn't really exist it's not tangible 
I sort of got into it on Twitter with a very prominent libertarian Catholic whom I respect and like and would like to meet personally, and I suspect I soon will. But he was arguing that crypto is a great currency, that it has all the properties of a good currency. Well, let's unpack that for a second. First of all, is crypto available to you if your 5G cell tower goes down, if you're disconnected from the internet? Uh, no. Okay, so availability is one of those things uh, that makes a good currency. You can have silver coins in your pocket and they're available to you. Number two, volatility. We have seen volatility in the crypto markets this week, unlike we have seen in, I think, at least a year, perhaps even more. Typical currencies are stable. Currency should be stable because that's one of the properties of currency is that it's stable. The third thing that I've noticed about cryptocurrencies that uh, all these libertarians are getting behind and I can't seem to explain it is why does crypto, especially Bitcoin, move it with perfect, near perfect correlation to the market? If it's this supposed perfectly he- good hedge against the market, if it's a hedge against fiat currency, if it's a hedge against monopoly money, and I hate monopoly money, and I hate fractional reserve banking, and I hate banksters. But if this is a hedge against that, why does the value, the relative value of Bitcoin move in perfect lockstep with the NASDAQ or the Dow? When the NASDAQ tanks, why does crypto tank? You would think that crypto would boom when the NASDAQ tanks. So you're talking about a so-called currency, right? That was invented by someone that we don't even know who it is. You know who it probably is? It's probably the NSA. That's probably who invented Bitcoin, is the NSA. Do you really want a three-letter government agency-created currency that could be suppressed by governments at any point? You think you're going off the grid with your Bitcoin? Yeah, if you go too far off the grid, you can't access it. Uh, You think there's anonymity to Bitcoin transactions? Yeah, think again. Everything is on the blockchain, they say. That means it's all revealable later on what does the irs want to do they want to tax every transaction over six hundred dollars the irs just can't do it with cash can they do it with a blockchain can they go back and review your transactions from 15 years ago that are sitting on the blockchain guys bitcoin is a trap it is a it is a honeypot and here's what i think it really is here's what i think it really is ladies and gentlemen sorry to to belabor the point but everyone else have long opinions Say it and so. Everyone's looking for a store of wealth right now to get out of the fiat currency because the currency is failing. It's failing in real time. In fact, yesterday, the inflation numbers came out. The official inflation numbers are over 8%. We know that the effective inflation numbers are like 25% or 50%, depending on what you're looking at. All of us want to get the heck out of the monopoly money, the bankster money. It's all prop. It's a house of cards that's coming undone right before our eyes. But what the government doesn't want you doing is placing your wealth in real assets, real estate, land, cattle, livestock, coins, money. They don't want you doing that. And so this is a honeypot designed to suck up all that capital that thinks that it is hedging itself against the failing fiat currency well, what happens when the lights go out? Coinbase could go bankrupt and everyone would lose everything that's in Coinbase. The CEO came out this week and even admitted that. 
Crypto is a honeypot. And to all my libertarian friends, I'm sorry. You are just dead wrong. When the chips are down, when it's time to play ball, and you can't transact because all your money is in some computer somewhere, I can't help you. I think for me, I'd rather have chickens and a cow and a gun. It's my unpopular opinion. I think that's it. Guys, if I don't win by bashing crypto, then then it's a rigged game. <laughs> I'm gonna have to start getting I'm gonna, I'm gonna to start. Well, Mike, to what would you say to them? It was we have a mutual friend, and he argues that well, if the power goes out or if they shut down the infrastructure, say in the US, they can't shut at least as far as what Bitcoin does, because I mean not all currencies not all crypto is created equal, yeah. obviously. And, you know, Bitcoin is a different thing, although I do think there's a good bit of psyop that goes on with Bitcoin. But he argues, well, it all goes down in one place, but they can't reset all accounts everywhere across the entire world. The entire world would have to go down completely for you not be able to to eventually, you know, reobtain Mm -hmm. that particular money in Bitcoin. Right. That's more or less the same. Okay, so. That is more or less the same argument that is refuted by communist China. Mm-hmm. Because in communist China, the government restricts what you can access via the internet. So right. have, your, your ability to access the money is contingent upon your ability to have free and open internet. And we know that they're restricting the internet. We know that they're going to have real ID, true ID. We know that we're going to have to have credentials to go onto the internet. So the idea that you cannot regulate crypto is so farcical i mean um yes i agree but the same same mutual friend devil's advocate argument again because again i agree with you but well, well, well uh, here's the thing, Ryan. yeah ryan so here's what the answer to what you're you're asking your answer for me is if the if the uh if the net goes down in the u.s you know you know all all the cryptocurrency falls around the world because they're hedging all of them on the u.s being able to to play in in that market right that's a good point no i agree now the same mutual friend he'll argue second devil's advocate argument that well what about mesh networking what about our ability to create internet without them to which on the error some some other form and there are lots of pirate internet options yeah and i agree with i would agree with him absolutely except for the fact that in reality those inter, you know unless I mean, anyone who, who knows more is welcome to chime in but those uh, those alternate internet options can also be locked out, so you can't oh. actually connect across the globe. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and, and it's true. Radio, like, basically, look if 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 you're if you're some tech guru and you figure out a way to punch through communist China uh, so that you can access your crypto, that still means you cannot transact with the guy next door who's right. not a who's not a dork, and who can't transact in crypto. So in, in real world, even if you can access your wallet and your wallet is replicated on all these servers around the world and it's and it's on the blockchain and it's and, and, and you can you can prove that you own these coins, if you can't do anything with them, then it's not a currency. You know, like right. <laughs> uh, and and by the way, like I, I'm a little bit tech savvy, but I'm not the dork who's gonna be ha- like be able to harvest cryptocurrency when the grid is down. That's not high on my priority list of things to do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, <laughs> or oh man, 
We, but we we should really do a show. We should invite Sammons on and just debate him and uh, hear him out because he really does love crypto and he thinks it's a he good does. alternative to the dollar. And I don't blame him for searching for an alternative to the dollar. The dollar sucks. No, it's laudable. I yeah. mean, I, but he, he he would say he he also is diversified. That's what he would say. Mm-hmm. Well, portfolio if you theory, think you money in crypto, get it out of it. Hey. If if you think you can do that, you know, all more power to you is what I say. Listen, I I'm not I'm putting my chickens in that basket. I'm not angry at all of the Bitcoin billionaires that were minted in the last two years, and I'm not sad for all of the Bitcoin former Bitcoin billionaires that no longer exist as of today. I, I just it doesn't. Uh oh, he's quite oh, he got booted. He got booted. <laughs> so he was explaining to us earlier that he has this new Apple Mouse, <laughs> and he goes, he did, he, he's not an expert on the whole swiping thing. There he is. I did, it's, this, it's this darn Apple Mouse. I don't know how to use it. <laughs> I literally was just gonna try to hit the outro. I was gonna be like, I was gonna end on a high note, and then I canceled myself. Wah, wah, wah. This is the rundown. Hey, quick programming note: we come at you. Try to be every Friday. Sometimes we we come at you on Saturdays. The rundown is its own YouTube channel. You have to find the rundown and subscribe to it. You got to hit the bell. When you hit the bell, your phone or your device will notify you. You'll get an email from YouTube saying that we're going live. That way we don't have to email you and text you and put it into group chats and say, hey, guys, we're doing the thing. The rundown YouTube channel has already hit 2,000 people. It's almost become self-aware. We would love to do this as often as possible, maybe even more than once a week. But we can do that if the channel continues to grow and it'll grow if you like and share the video. So do that. God bless you. Good night.